Ed, I've come to tell you something. Honey, where's your car? How'd you get here? I walked. You walked? What's with the shovel? That's what I want to talk to you about. It is? Yes. Ed, I've come to tell you, I've changed. You have? Yes, and Ed, you know I love you so much. I know you do, Nadine. But I've been a selfish bitch to you all these years, and you've been a saint. What? Listen to me. I've known since forever you love Norma and she loves you. I kept the two of you apart because of my jealousy. And I manipulated you, Ed. No, no, you haven't. Oh, no, you know it's true. I guilted you to stay. And you're so good you stayed and gave up your love. Oh, God, Ed, I want you to be free. Drop it. Duncan and Bo come correct. Hey everyone, welcome back to uh, Duncan Bo Go to Twin Peaksies, aka Duncan and Bo come correct. Uh, the number one show on the planet, uh, podcast wise. Thank you so much for making us the most listened to podcast in the history of podcasts. Um, we are. Uh, it's only appropriate because, of course, we are talking about the greatest television show in the history of television. And uh, with me to uh, to fillet this show, uh, and I think we're in for some serious ball cupping fellatio <laughs> for tonight's episode. Uh, is Duncan McLeish, sir? How are you? I'm excited to be here. We were right, Bo, and everyone was wrong. This is the best TV show ever. Yeah, it it enough enough haters. Uh, we're done with you. This is the greatest television show that has ever been, ever will be. I know there are two episodes that you and I both have not seen, but if, even if they just, if it were a static white image yep. for the next two hours of Twin Peaks The Return, Z's, uh, it would be <laughs> the greatest television show I've ever seen. It's, it's literally reinvented the way you do a narrative and it has given me every single episode up to this point in fact these two episodes have consistently almost every five minutes given me something i've never seen before in tv and i just don't know how you can't be excited for that uh, you know for a first point and for a second point why anyone would not love this like i, I genuinely i mean we can let people peek a little bit behind the curtain and say that you watched these a, a good few days before I did I only watched episode 16 basically just before we started recording and episode 15 I watched last night and then um, you'd be like yeah Yo, you need to watch it you're gonna love it and, you know all the rest and I was like yeah yeah but all right whatever I've seen episode 8 I know where I am um, and this yeah <laughs> just fucking absolutely incredible I mean well, yeah, it's I like... kind of don't want. I don't want the journey to end at all now. I don't want the story to end. Oh, I know. Like, I don't want like we one more episode and that's us done. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't want that to be the case. I want it to go on, uh, forever. Yeah, I I want to be in one of them uh Sarah Palmer time loops, where I'm just <laughs> watching episode sixteen over and over again. And, and I, I, all right, couple of things before we jump into what we've been watching. 
Uh, one, I, to your point about, like, I don't know why everyone doesn't love this. I understand fully how somebody could bounce off this show. Uh, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. At this stage, maybe at the beginning where it was like, right, right so Agent Cooper's not back and, you know, some of the, you know, we've always had to recast people that have died and, yeah, the show's maybe just starting off infinitely weirder than we expected it to. Right, maybe the first two or three episodes, but... Like, I genuinely think, like, every episode, like, every episode this season has been phenomenal, but I would go on record to say that everything from about episode five onwards has been on an incremental rise. Like, every episode is, like, is giving you an hour of television unlike any hour of television you've ever watched consistently. So, yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit goofy for some people, but I still don't know why anyone would just want to sit and watch fucking I'm a Celebrity get me out here or Gordon Ramsay's fucking kitchen nightmares when they could be watching a story told in a way that I have never seen yeah, I, before. But that's kind of my point. Like, I work with a guy who does not like films with metaphor. Mm. You know, he just wants a story simply told and in and out nobody gets hurt. And and as I was talking to a, another friend of mine whose name is Chad, sorry, oh, I, know, fuck uh, Chad. I know, I know, fuck Chad. Um, but I, I was talking to him, and I was like, "Man, there's seven percent of of the world population that mm-hmm. this is going to be the greatest thing they've ever seen. Ninety, <laughs> the other ninety three percent is going to be varying degrees of that was great to what the fuck was that." Mm-hmm. And and everything in between. But that said, uh, I I would say that these two episodes in particular come as close as we see this season to legitimate fan service. There are things yes. that happens in, in both of these episodes uh, that we're talking about tonight that are the most occasionally heartbreaking sometimes uplifting sometimes fucking man i mean like i told you i was like man episode 16 throws up the devil horns and just never puts them down yeah and and that's like i as a twin peaks uh completist i would i would say a fan, a super fan of of the Twin Peaks series, as, as you and I are. Um, holy shit! It just it, there there are moments of satisfaction I didn't think I was gonna get out of this season that surprised me and how much I I cared. Yeah, I think I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head with with the fan service part. David Lynch is. Um, and Mark Frost, let's ne- never discount because the writing has been tremendous in this season, like on a completely different level. Um, but the two of them together are starting to tie very neat bows um, on particular story arcs that have existed since season one. <laughs> you know, these, the, you know, they're completing out certain character loops in a fashion which almost feels unlynchian if that makes sense you know very very conventional very down the middle but i think what makes the the show so phenomenal is you are juxtaposing it 
with these metaphysical, um, esoterical questions and storylines that are just, you know, they're dotted throughout. And when they land, they land in a way which feels like the most revelatory thing I have ever seen on TV. And the fact that you can do both and find a balance, like both these episodes do, um, I think I said it before on here, and I'll, I'll say it again. If you know, if awards do not go to this show over the next year, I mean, like we're talking big awards here, we're talking about Emmys, Gold Globes, or whatever they are. If they do not get handy to Twin Peaks, then I think it just is complete confirmation of what we've already known is that you know, people are just shitheads, <laughs> they don't deserve the good things in life. It's yeah, we're going to talk about some things tonight that I genuinely think are some of the finest moments I've ever seen in television history. I yeah. am so excited. I'm so, so excited. And the fact that, like I said before as well, the fact that Showtime put this out, so it had been a limited run, you know, limited people had seen this, although I think the numbers were quite good. Um, the fact that I didn't know any of this, as well, this show's been off for about two months, and I still don't know how the show finishes. Yeah. And I knew nothing about these two episodes. Has literally blown my mind. And what is pretty cool, Bo, is at least one of our theories, um, I believe indirectly, are proved correct in this episode. So, uh, well, oh, hundred percent, sixteen, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, can't wait, can't wait. All right, well, we're we're getting to that. That's a little tease, listeners. That's us you know putting the arm around you and just and and making you feel safe before we you know go for the grope uh <laughs> go for the grope it's <laughs> the name of my new my new biography coming next year go for the, go for the grope it, it you could just call uh 2017 at this point the year of the grope oh fuck i know man and, honestly oh there are honestly. no more heroes duncan no more well, heroes what were, were, were any of them heroes before I I was quite fond of Al Franken. That was really disappointing. Yeah, yeah. I, I've always found him to be funny, and and uh, that's disappointing. But hey, hey, let's we're not here to talk about that. We can talk about <laughs> we'll jump over to Darren's show and and talk about that shit. Um, <laughs> that's where that belongs. Not here on the number one podcast in the world, Duncan. Um, number one. Number one. Uh, and thank you again to all the listeners. Uh, check out our Patreon. And <laughs> we have no Patreon. <laughs> we are getting a Patreon, um, <laughs> so we can sell all that sweet, sweet Duncan and Bo merch. Duncan. Yep, there's loads of them there. Yes. Yeah, it's gonna be like like Duncan and, and Bo go to my belly, and you put it right on the middle of the shirt. You know, <laughs> I got ideas, uh, but. <sighs> Uh, before we get to our multi-million dollar ideas, and we've yeah, had like several my, on this oh, show. Oh, we have had loads. I had um, the, the, what was it, the Black Yukon Sucker Punch dildo. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, nine inches of whoo. Um, and uh, I, I like to think that my new fragrance, uh, based off the esoteric teachings of um, Nadine, which is Comahawk for a man or a woman, um, in partnership with Calvin Klein, uh, will be available next year as well. So you can go around it smelling like Nadine. Uh, why would you want that? I I can't think of a single good reason why you wouldn't want to <laughs> reek of Nadine. 
<laughs> I and also movie ideas like the one about the uh, the go the guy who becomes a ghost. That's uh, the greatest idea we've ever had. It's pretty good. So anyway, speaking of movies, Duncan, mm-hmm. he says segueing like a professional on the number one show in the world. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm obsessed with that. Um, what what you've been watching lately? Good and bad. The be- the best and worst of the current lot. And I know we only talked like three days ago. Yeah, uh, so, so I have actually seen two movies, which is pretty good. Uh, I didn't watch the TV show. I didn't watch American Horror Story that I kind of hoped to, to kind of slam through. I've not had a chance. But I did manage to grab a couple of movies. Um, one I kind of knew I wouldn't like, um, and maybe that's why I watched it. <laughs> uh, is, this uh, is the Michael... shit you Like, you give me shit for that all the time. Yeah, but in fairness, you watch a movie called, like, The, the Paranormal Ouija Board. That from the outset, it's a good is, one. You know, it's never, never going to be at the cinema. As you know, it's never. It didn't cost a lot of money to do it. It's filled with fucking nobodies. So I watched um, Michael Bay's Pain and Game. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's not a very good movie. Yeah, uh, the guy who directed Lost After Dark, his wife is the female lead in that. Then I will watch my mouth. <laughs> no, uh, the I, I think what I didn't like about it. Um, was how it seemed it's seemingly glamorizing something that I find fucking repugnant, which is, you know, crime. And not in a way where you're watching like a mafia movie or something like that, where it's like, oh good fella, I would want to be a good fella. It's just a kind of dude bro fucking douchebag kind of meathead attitude to I think the dialogue's very good. I thought Mark Wahlberg was pretty awful in it and I can tolerate him sometimes. Uh, the rock is being the rock which is pretty much what the rock does um but i just didn't i don't get the point of the movie at all like it finished and i was just like that that was two and a bit hours of and it's it's quite a leery movie as well even by base standards um i just yeah I, i just thought it was like a really crass pretty pointless piece of work from a director who is now legitimately known for making crass pointless pieces of work i can't argue with any of that uh, <laughs> uh yeah i don't think it's a very good movie um th- you know despite knowing people who are in it uh you know it happens she's another stuff that's real good um i yeah just, I, I i read like this i have such a weird relationship to that movie because because bar was going to be in it I read the script well in advance. Oh yeah, and was like, I don't know, this doesn't seem very good. And <laughs> and then they were like, no, 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 you know, I'm sure it'll come together as we're shooting it. And uh, uh, I'm not telling Bar this; she didn't talk to me. She's way too pretty for that. <laughs> um, so, but but I was talking to Ian about it. And I was like, yeah, and I, you know, I don't think it's very good. But I was like, I was established as a Michael Bay uh, opponent already yeah. at that point um i just but don't, yeah it's not I, even michael it's just not even the fact that it's a it's, michael bay movie i just don't think it's it's a good idea for a movie if that yeah. makes sense i think there are better sometimes things like that are best left to fiction bo well um, and it's a true story that it's yeah. based on and and i think there's a way to do that movie like i in in my opinion the problem with pain and gain is that you're 
protagonists are too stupid and crass to use your word yeah. for them to be sympathetic and you need them to be kind of lovable losers yeah because you're and, with them the whole fucking movie right you need to be on their side and when they make dumb decisions which they constantly do through the film you should as a viewer you should be rooting for them to overcome it whereas yeah. in pain and gain i was just like everything bad that happened to them i wanted it to get worse and faster so that yeah. they just both died quickly tonally it's all over the place as well i wasn't yeah. sure if i was supposed to be laughing at certain bits or genuinely offended by other bits so yeah i just th i think it's a mess of a movie yeah. like a real real mess um however on the good netflix have just dropped jim and andy the great beyond which is a documentary uh, into jim carrey's performance oh that's funny is because this is my bad for the week you didn't like it i I thought the documentary was fine. I, it just turns out I hate Jim Carrey. See, yeah, we have sort of uh, like I'm invested in Jim Carrey because I was of that sweet right age um, for you know Ace Ventura when it came out and The Mask, and it's like there are very few Carrey projects that I dislike, um, even the ones which didn't hit at the time. Uh, like I remember the, the cable guy flopped, but I thought the cable guy was fucking a stroke of dark comedic genius. And like time will out on that one. I think I've been proved right because uh, it's now fairly well regarded. You know, it's not like like Oscar worthy or anything like that. But people have come back to say, actually, this movie was ahead of its time in terms of some of the real kind of dark stalkerish sort of mentality that went to the movie. It is quite disturbing in parts. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really like Jim Carrey and um, sitting down to watch this and see, to me, the, the, the documentary is very much like when you watch something like Room 237, um, the documentary is basically, you know, obsession and what obsession can do to you, especially if you have a creative mind. It's a very creative individual and um, no one can rein that in on him. And he, he, by that point in his career, by, you know, making Man on the Moon, um, he had, you got to remember, Jim Carrey was, was kind of at his peak careiness. And that, when, that there's, there's a reason you get so many outtakes at the end of these movies. People would just, like, set up a camera and say, right, Jim, go and be yourself. You know, be Jim Carrey. Uh, and he'd do, like, 15 different takes, all spontaneously, you know, off the cuff. Um, ad lib, um, you know, kind of routines. And when you come from that culture of, you know, you are the funny guy, just be funny all the time, and then you try and tackle, a, you know, the the kind of weirdness of of Andy Kaufman, you know, just a, generally just a, a, I mean, I don't even know how you would, like, he is such a polarizing figure. Um, like, I've seen quite a lot of his comedy, and uh, some of it I found funny, and most of it I found is disturbing a strong word for it? I don't know. Uh, unsettling? Yeah, very unsettling. I think that's his point. I think he wanted to make people uncomfortable and uneasy. Um, I found really, really quickly that's how Jim Carrey made me feel in the documentary, so I think he nailed it. <laughs> so, yeah, I... it's just fascinating how like you can see like and these recognizable faces it's big you like like Danny DeVito and stuff like that just don't have a fucking clue what's going on well cuz they're professional actors Duncan 
who are being or having their time wasted by a narcissistic asshole the entire time. Right. Is it any different though than um you know, proper method actors who will not speak to other actors or, you know, not come out of their, their trailer unless they're being called by their character name or that's just as disruptive. I mean, Jim Carrey's a bit more offensively in your face, but by the true um the, the you know the kind of true prowess of being a method actor and obtaining a character. I mean, Heath Ledger I, killed himself because he became the Joker. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah, and the world obviously worse for it. I would say the line is, "Are you so into the character that you're disrupting the filming of the project itself?" Which what he would clearly Andy Kaufman, does. Yeah, but movie. what would Andy Kaufman do if he was in that movie? If Andy Kaufman's disrupt- dead, and Jim Carrey's an yeah. actor. Yeah, but I I, like of all people, I feel like I should be because I'm a big Andy Kaufman fan, and I actually think Man on the Moon is a fantastic movie. I like a a lot of great movie. Yeah, yeah, I like a lot of Jim Carrey movies. I just don't like him. (laughs) Like, like I I can see Dumb and Dumber and find it to be hilarious. Oh, and I got to tell you, Man on the Moon is going to be a tougher watch for me now because I love that movie enough to watch it on a semi-regular basis not you know yearly but if i see it on i certainly stop and watch and and sometimes seek it out but seeing his backstage shenanigans uh it was enough that i was like Ugh, now now i'm gonna think about that when i watch a movie i really like <laughs> yeah see I, yeah I, I i come down on a different road here i think he like jim Carrey, just in general is i think he's a a I find him very Loom. funny. Yeah, he oh. is. He is. He's. 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 He, but he's always been. I mean, you look. Sure. Oh. Yeah. No doubt. So. So yeah. So if you if you pick an actor like that who clearly idolized the character who's going to play, and he really wanted to do as much as he could to become him, um, and I think the romant- the romanticized idea of becoming that guy, yes, clearly disrupted the project. But I don't necessarily think you get that movie without that. I think he has to get. I think you don't get that performance out of Jim Carrey if he's not being a complete dickhead behind it. And I'm not saying that I applaud the way he captured the character. I, very much like yourself, had I been on set, I would have fucking throttled him. Um, but you're saying that you you love that movie. You only get that movie because he was able to fully immerse himself in the level. And yes, it's horrible to see, and yes, some th- sometimes things are best left behind closed doors or left to the imagination of, you know, like you hear these stories about Nightmare on set, you're like, oh, I really want to see that. Um, the one that springs to mind is um, it's one I've talked about before, uh, a movie called Crawl Space, um, which stars uh, Klaus Kinski, and the director went on to make a short movie like several years after uh, called um, you know, I want to kill you, Klaus Kinski. It basically talks about his experiences with him. And there was a guy who was downright fucking nuts, who had guns pulled on him by directors. Werner Herzog pulled a gun on Kinski to actually get him to perform in a fucking scene because he was being such a, a diva and all the rest. Certain actors are just like that. Their performances are captivating on the screen, though. I mean, Kinski's performances are always super intense. Jim Carrey's performances are always super entertaining to me. And I think that sometimes you have to allow your actors to be dickheads 
um, and really stretch the boundaries to ultimately get the performances that you do. And I really think Man on the Moon is an incredible movie. And if that's what you have to you know, kind of struggle through to get that end result from Carey, then, you know, sometimes sometimes suffering for your art is a real thing. You know, some people talk about, you know, suffering for their art and it might mean that they miss a meal once a week. A week. I'm not really suffering for your art, right? Suffering for your art is to the point where it makes you question why you're doing the thing you're doing. I think Jim Carrey pushes those buttons. And it, it certainly was fascinating to for me to watch that and just think that I'd always heard that, you know, there'd been a bit of trouble on that set. I can't imagine anything to the level that it did and the way that the documentary was put together. And the fact that it's, it's got completely polarising, visceral opinions from both yourself and myself, I think is the way a documentary should be done. So, yeah, yeah I, that's my good. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that the movie itself is not well done. I think it is. Uh, I just, you know, it, it's like if you saw a really good documentary about a terrible bowel movement. <laughs> where it's like that, yeah, there is artistry and craft in the telling of this tale. And yet, I don't know if I'm real excited about watching it. Um, but... Uh, I, I get it. I get it. Um, so my good Duncan uh, is also a documentary. Oh. Also about comedy. Oh. But way better um, <laughs> because Jim Carrey is not in it. Um, no, it, it's uh, a movie called Too Funny to Fail. And All right. it is a documentary about um, the dana carvey show which was the sketch comedy show dana carvey did immediately after he left saturday night live all right yeah and it was placed in the time slot immediately after home improvement which i think they say it was the number one show at the time and i know it was, it was a huge super, for a right, while yeah giant giant uh property um so the 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 show itself only lasted like i think eight episodes or i think it was seven they they filmed eight and only seven ever aired and so the guy obviously dana carvey was the star of the show but the writing staff and other performers were stephen colbert steve carell robert smigel who does like triumph the insult comic dog and all that stuff um the uh charlie kaufman was on the writing staff um i mean it was just this amazing assemblage of people that would go on to be masters in their craft Mm -hmm. and the the thing that was so fascinating about it is that it was this bold experiment like they went into it with the notion of we're going to create the next monty python or saturday night live or the disruptive comedic voice yeah you know something new and the problem was that they were doing it after home improvement (laughs) and so the same audience that was watching tim the Toolman taylor yeah a very conventional comedy yeah uh, i mean as broad a sitcom as you would want Mm -hmm. is being now thrust up against uh like this very subversive oftentimes very silly 
comedy and hearing the the major players in all this uh talk about you know what the show was what they wanted it to be um all that stuff i mean it, it's one of the most fascinating documentaries about not just um not not just that show or dana carvey or anything like that but about comedy in in general uh that it is truly one of the more impressive like displays of just hearing you know brilliant comedians talk about what what it is to do their job you know as writers and how they think about comedy and it's super fascinating man i i again can't recommend it highly enough uh i would absolutely say seek it out on on hulu or eventually i'm sure they'll do some other release of it but um it's amazing man i i i can't recommend it enough i will keep my eyes peeled bull um all right if there is no more business duncan mm-hmm. we are going to launch into discussion of these two very fine episodes of uh twin peaks uh the returns east episodes 15 and 16 are you ready i am i just want to uh, preface what we're about to say by saying that me and Bo have slightly different opinions on which is the better episode. <laughs> yes, that is th- accurate, but no one no one is arguing that either of the episodes are not good. No, uh, no. Like so basically we're gonna be talking about potentially two of the best episodes of TV ever, and then I think yeah. at the end we maybe put forward our case as to why we think it's better than the other. I think that could be I, fun. I th- that's a fine idea. Um, all right, uh, we will be right back after this break. This is not a test. This is the Psychosemantic Podcast. Announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Weapons of Class 4 and lower have been authorized for use during the purge. All other weapons are restricted. Government officials of ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the purge and shall not be harmed. A few days ago, I called the news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. We have Ben Jacobs, that's the Guardian reporter, body slammed tonight by the Republican candidates, Greg Gianforte. Living with a six-year-old. Rush this fast. It makes me nervous. That is one big pile of shit. Well, then you two learned a very important lesson today. Cops don't help. It's a train! Now's not the time for fear. That comes later. Can you fly, Bobby? In the 20th century, the Senate voted on seven Supreme Court nominees during election years, and it approved all but one. So just to, just to put a button on this, are you ruling it out 100%? Yeah. Are you crazy? Is that your problem? Politics, movies, political movies. The Psychosemantic Podcast. Better known as the Psychosemantic Cast. He did what we all must learn to do. And you, and you, and you, and you. Yep.
Duncan, the time has come to jump into what we have both described as two of the best hours in television that you and I may have ever seen. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the thing is, Bo, I actually think we're underselling it. (laughs) All right. uh, So enough, as I said earlier, enough fuckery, Duncan. Let let us get to it. Um, We open, Duncan, Mm -hmm. on Nadine walking down a lonely road with her gold shit-digging shovel. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, everyone! Oh, God, she's back. And, oh, get ready. (laughs) It turns out she's on her way to Big Ed's gas farm. Mm -hmm. And whom last we saw was eating a lonely, like, can of beans uh, at the gas farm, looking as forlorn as ever a man looked. Once again, this to me is the, uh, we'll get into the, like, in, in a second, but David Lynch did say this is an 18-hour movie, so this logically makes sense, if you know what I mean. So that scene that it left us on, which was heartbreaking in the previous episode, uh, we're like, oh, poor big head, and all the rest. The next scene, logically, in a film would be this, coming up with Nadine walking down to save the day. So yeah, I like it a lot. So Nadine uh, marches right up, to uh big ed shovel in hand and it rightfully he's like nadine what are you doing with this shovel yeah what why was your car did you walk here right and so he thinks that she's flipped her shit again and and she's like no it's okay ed i know what a needy bitch i've been over the years and that's exactly how she describes herself a needy bitch and uh and she says uh, I know I kept you away from Norma, and how much you wanted to finger bang her. She doesn't see finger bang. Doesn't see finger bang. She, she <laughs> implies it heavily, <laughs> and <laughs> then <laughs> she's like, "Go to Norma. You're free. Finger bang away." <laughs> Once again, no finger bang in this. It's heavily implied. <laughs> it d- does uh, say that he is free though. Yes, and. Ed kind of stares at her and is like, are, are you, you know, are you for reals? <laughs> are you fucking high? <laughs> right. And then, and basically she's like, I break with thee, I break with thee, I break with thee, and now you're free. He does and, also mention about the shovel and asks her if she'd been watching that crackpot Jacoby. Right. I like the fact that he doesn't call him Dr. Amp. It's totally yeah. Jacoby. <laughs> Ugh, Nadine, come on. Don't listen to Jacoby about anything ever, <laughs> except totally do because yeah. Jacoby's awesome. Yeah, dig yourself Talk- out of the shit. You know, I was listening to uh, Psycho Semantic, your episode that just dropped uh, recently, mm-hmm. and it it opened with a, a little bit of Doctor Amp, and I appreciated that. Pretty amazing, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Darren's good stuff. He's a good guy. <laughs> um. So, all right, so then off Nadine Fox. She's like, I got my shit together! <laughs> and then uh, she's off. Maybe for the so, last time, actually. I think that might be her swan song. I get the feeling that a lot of characters have had their swan song in this episode. Maybe so, but it's... I I don't know. I think there's going to be something with her and Dr. Amp still. I think that there's, oh, there's see, something... See, if they have sex, then I'm switching off. That's how you ruin a series. 
I'm gonna write you like a bull. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll tell you why. That's just what the company wants you to do, Nadine. That's right. Um, He's literally gonna dig the shit out of him with that shovel. <laughs> oh my god, it's gonna go in his butt. It's uh, totally in the, it's, <laughs> in the butt. So potentially goodbye, Nadine. But well done, well yes. played, Nadine. It's only taken. 25 years but well done well done needing hey better late than never you know um so then we go right to the double r and ed walking in confident as fuck yeah springing his step looking good i've been loving you by otis redney in his plan yes great song choice it, it's fantastic and, and this is one of those scenes that feels surprisingly conventional yeah but man does it work mm-hmm. and and so ed comes in and he tells norma that he's free that he is he it, there is no more nadine she's cool he's cool he's ready to be with norma and then norma gives him the heisman you know what i mean <laughs> arm out knee up and uh, he she's got to sit down and talk to Walter, the douchebag who's handling her franchising business, mm-hmm. who has sent her flowers. And is like, oh, did you get my flowers, Norma? Uh, <laughs> and and Ed's just like, fuck. And actually, my note is Ed has a seat because everything is terrible. Yes, like he he has the one possibility I entertained throughout this series was that Ed would realize that Nadine was kind of the love of his life. But that's not the story. It's Norma that's the love of Ed's life. And now Norma, again, with the Heisman, now sitting at the table with Walter. But then Norma tells Walter that she wants to exercise her her contractual option for him to buy her out of the Double R franchise. Which means that all the franchise stores belong to him and his company, mm-hmm. and Norma keeps the original Double R. Makes sense. Yep, that's all she's ever wanted, and uh, she wishes him well. And Ed uh, is drinking coffee, clearly contemplating suicide. It's like, but th- this seems phenomenal because it's just on his face, and you know, he's he's clearly as a man who's broken. And you have this, you have Otis Redden singing over the back. It's just, yeah. This scene is set up perfectly. So, and it's it's getting to the crescendo of the song when Otis Redding makes the turn in the song itself from it has been a miserable time loving you and I just need you to give me a reason to keep going on. Mm-hmm. And then Norma's hand falls on Ed's shoulder and he turns to her and they kiss. Yeah. And then he proposes to her. Yep. And she says yes. Of course she does. And then as the song continues, we just see images of the land and the sky. And it is a powerful visual declaration, Duncan, of how love can affect the world. Yep. It is a surprisingly beautiful scene. It is, and what we know about David Lynch is he likes for every yin there is a yang, Bo. And uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. You know, the, the, we we don't get to spend much time in the happy place. No, but it 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 feels good for you know, like you said, this is a relationship that's been going on since the first episode. 
and having the final resolution of like Ed and Norma are getting together finally after everything, uh, all the hurdles. Uh, yeah. You know, after Hank, remember Hank, Bo? Of course I do. <laughs> hey, it's one last hurrah for Hank. <laughs> he died horribly in jail. Once again, please read The Secret World of the Twin Peaks. Um, but yeah, so they've finally made it together. Once again, I think this might be the last we see of Big Ed and the last we see of Norma. And if it is Bo, I'm happy yeah. because now... I know that they finally got their happily ever after. And that's that's all we ever wanted. Two of the nicest characters finally get their happy ever after. Yeah. I really, really loved the scene. It, yeah. it made me happy in in a way I was not expecting. And then, like you said, we hit the yang. <laughs> Dude, that scene's yin. Because uh, we get a flash of some otherworldly shit. And then we're driving down a dark road. Which David Lynch loves shooting these scenes, and I love watching them. Like honestly, I, it's yeah. literally just a set of headlights driving down a road with ominous synth-based music playing in the background, droning, and they they last longer than they should, or longer than they should work, but they're always fucking awesome. Yeah, it. it I really do like the the ominous association with the single light or the you know. Uh, the lights themselves still surrounded by darkness. Yeah. It, it's a really striking scene. And of course, this is Doppel Cooper on the road. Yep. On the road again. Uh, all right, Duncan, you ready to get into some straight up Black Lodge shit? Yeah. Th this is probably one of the most Black Lodge shit sequences ever. And I couldn't be happier because this ties in fucking. This is like, you know, like if you've ever watched Alex Jones and Alex Jones goes on a rant where he starts connecting, you know, the Clintons with lizard people who are vampire pedophiles from Mars. He's the monolith to sure, infiltrate sure. the Illuminati. And you're like, that this train of thought is just fucking infectious. Strap yourselves in, ladies and gents. Uh, and let, let us take you on a little journey um, back to episode eight. Uh, you remember in episode 8, we uh, saw an atomic bomb go off, and then we saw a gas station, as they're known in America. Uh, unless you're Big Ed and it's a gas farm. Um, right. A gas station be overrun by uh, woodsmen uh, and weird, trippy strobe lights and smoke. Well, Bo, guess what? You thought that was a one-off scene, and you were never going to see that one. You know, that's where you were wrong. We are going to make a return, a return to the gas station. Yeah, this is straight. Uh, there is a straight line from episode eight to this scene. Yeah, it's fucking great. And and up to and including the fact that uh, hold on, let me get the name right so I don't sound like a real asshole. <laughs> uh, Threnody for the victims of Hiroshima is playing mm -hmm. again, which we last yes. heard when we saw the nuclear blast in episode eight. Mm -hmm. So we're that's playing. And Doppel Cooper follows one of the lumber ghosts upstairs of yes. the Dutchman's, which is, now, I, I guess, what we assume this is, right? That's where he was going. Heard, yeah. Last yeah. time we heard from him, he knew where it was just before he killed his buddy. Well, he's betrayed yeah. his buddy. I know where it is. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Doppel Cooper and the lumber ghost are going upstairs at the Dutchman's, and we hear some static sounds, and then they kind of phase out of existence or you know into another reality and now they're in the room above the convenience store mm -hmm. 
And so he tells uh, the lumber ghost there that he's looking for Philip Jeffries. Then the lumber ghost throws a switch, kind of like similar to-ish the way that the giant was uh, throwing the switch on the alarm and that kind of thing. It's all that kind of weird, like medieval technology that seems to be going on. And we get a flash of the jumping man from Firewalk With Me. Mm -hmm. And then Doppel Cooper follows another lumber ghost down a long hallway. And and one quick note about the levers. Yes. And I think, because we saw that in the first episode where, uh, you know, Dale, Agent Cooper, is being, you know, or maybe it was episode two where this happens, but when he's in kind of that series of rooms and there's always like a lever being flipped, which takes him to a different reality. Yes. And, and it's like here that the lumber ghost is flipping the switch to take him to the reality where Philip Jeffries exists Mm -hmm. or, or some, or something to that effect. That's my own. Again, none of this is spelled out, but I think that makes <laughs> that makes Lynchian sense to me. Yeah, and we also get like a like that scene where they're walking down the corridor is fucking weirdly fascinating, and that they're not walking normally because it's Black Lodge magic, but they're they're walking at a weird. It's almost if you're a fan of Monty Python, it's almost like the Ministry of Silly Walks. Um, it's a strange, bizarre, disjointed walk that they have down an abnormally long corridor um right and there's a lot of superimposition of the woods yes over these shots too all the way through it all the way through it um and they ultimately come out into what looks like a kind of like a car car park or whatever you call them car lot uh, parking lot yeah parking lot uh, it's for, like a motel parking yeah, lot yeah a motel yeah. Like, like one of these ones that you would see and i don't know like the bates motel just like you see these, right these... or no david lynch movie <laughs> or a david lynch movie. any david <laughs> right lynch there movie. are all these travel lodges and motels like the not hotels like shitty little one floor collections of rooms yes All right, I'm glad we agree. Um, <laughs> yeah, nothing else to add to that. You're 100% accurate. That's what happens. Um, but he uh, he walks towards the door and enters the door and let's dance. Put wait, on wait, your wait. red. Oh, what? Before we get to that. Yep, see it, Mark. I think it's worth pointing out that there's a woman that shows up that we've never seen before. Yes. Because the door's originally locked. Yes. And she's like, I'll unlock it for you. You're really good and, at that. You're really good at that. <laughs> and, and then it's just weird because there's this crazy looking woman in a bathrobe. Yeah. I love how this, you think this bit's weird. <laughs> I, like the stuff we get to all makes sense. Uh, this is the part that really hung me up. Um, all right. Enough stepping even, on she you. Didn't chance, she didn't even have a chance to put her makeup on. What? Um, before before we get into a description of the scene itself, I, I know you went let's dance. Yes. But let's let's hear a little labyrinth. Oh, but really? Really? I <clears throat> look, how many more times are we gonna be talking about Philip Jeffries and I love it? I think this Why might be can't the last time we talk about <laughs> I will meet you happy. <clears throat> I saw my baby 
trying hard as babe could cry. What could I do? My baby's love was gone and left my baby blue. Nobody knew. There you go. What kind of magic you know spell to you? Getting it. That's it. Dinner All right. Dance, dinner dance. <laughs> and baby's so good. Yep. Dance, magic, dance. All right. Uh, I love that song so much, and you do it well. It makes me. It makes me so very, very happy. Um, David right, Bowie's so... not behind this door because David Bowie was ill at the point of obviously not common knowledge, but he had uh, turned down the the reprisal of his character Philip Jeffries. I don't think David Lynch knew why he turned it down, and then subsequently before the show, whilst the show was still filming, it might add, because the show filmed for almost a year. Um, in fact, I think it may have been slightly longer than a year as well. Uh, he, he did unfortunately pass away. So, but what we've found thus far is they have done interesting things with actors who did not return or characters who have passed away. Now, I want to direct your attention to um, the, the man from the other place who refused to come back, uh, who became a tree with a brain. So, yep, the evolution of Mike's arm. Yes, yes, the evolution of Mike's arm. So, yep, that's uh, it's one thing. Um, Bob has obviously passed away, so we have a tease of superimposed kind of Bob maniacal smiles over orbs. Um, so, so that's happened that way. Uh, David Bowie obviously not being here. Have they superimposed Bowie's face onto something? Uh, have they recast him? Is he a tree with a brain on it, Bob? What is he when we open the door? Well, none of the the above, Duncan. That's stupid. <laughs> um, no, what we see is a giant tea kettle <laughs> that is pouring out smoke. He's like the he's like the Cheshire no not not the Cheshire cat the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland, except a tea kettle, except a but giant. Yeah, who who are you? And and what's great is the guy voicing it is doing that corn pone. Yeah, he's doing the uh, he's and, doing the Bowie impression of an of yeah. a Southern American. It's kind of amazing. Well, and and so Doppel Cooper asks him why he sent why Jeffrey sent Ray to kill him, mm-hmm. and Jeffrey's doesn't deny it outright, but he says. I don't even have your number. <laughs> and so good. then there's a flashback to Firewalk with me. And it's the scene with Bowie in the, uh, in the office when he runs in and says, uh, you know, we're not going to uh, talk about Judy. Not going to talk at about all. Judy. No. Yeah. Which once and... again, when you think back on it, it made no fucking sense. But we just were—I think we were just so blown away by the fact that David Bowie was in Firewalk with me that we never really scrutinized anything. And, he said. The, and the accent and the look of him, and I mean, it's just anytime, whatever David Bowie does, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, he he can do no wrong in my eyes. Um, and so after that, Jeffries asks him are you cooper mm-hmm. and he doesn't answer doppel cooper doesn't but he, instead he's asking him like who is judy <laughs> yeah. so we went and, from uh, we went from uh, how's annie to who's judy <laughs> yeah 
Well, and then and Jeffries is, is like, you need to, you need to ask Judy yourself, and, and <laughs> then he's uh, like Cleveland from I know a little bit. Hey y'all, um, <laughs> so no, 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 um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um. Je- so Doppel Cooper says, "How do I get in touch with Judy?" And Jeffrey says, "I'll give you her number," mm-hmm. which he then puffs out of his tea kettle existence or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the numbers just kind of float there. It's goddamn, it's so good. Yeah, it's one of those moments of like, this is why you either love this show or it's going to drive you mad. Yeah, yeah. To to me, it's like what I love about the show is it's daring just do shit. You know what I mean? It, it's literally it's pushing even even your your tolerance levels of what you've seen before. Uh, but what, what yeah. I love about it is it's not just flung in the air for shits and giggles. Everything that happens in this scene legitimately ties back to everything we've seen before. So it's it's like it's goofy, but it's it's credible and certainly in keeping with the the the, the canon of Twin Peaks yeah. in the most wonderful way. So yeah, I, I, I adore this scene. Yeah, well, so while Do- Doppelcooper is asking who Judy is, Jeffrey says, you've already met Judy. Mm. And uh, uh, Doppelcooper says, you know, what does that mean? And then a phone starts ringing, Matrix style. <laughs> and he picks it up and is like, not like this. And then he spit back to our world or yep. our dimension or whatever. So there endeth Philip Jeffries, who it turns out, ever since maybe he got burned up in the lobby of that hotel, yes. has been living kettle. in this tea kettle. <laughs> and <laughs> and has been like kind of pulling strings or manipulating shit. But again, like his motive motivation is still real hazy yeah. in this scene. Like you don't know if he, if he's White Lodge or Black Lodge or if you know if doppel cooper yeah we'll get into all the seed stuff in a minute but um i think like, i think he's black cooper... lodge i think he's black lodge and the reason you I think, think jeffrey's flipped that he started blue rose and went black lodge yeah well i think he started blue rose when you hear the when we heard the explanation before about you know in the previous episode about the formation of of blue rose and what we know about jeffrey's is jeffrey's found the room above the convenience store um and then using kind of black lodge magic has been able to time shift uh since obviously he's worked out where the portals are and i think yeah i think he has i think he's essentially become part of the the, the, the kind of machine the mechanism of the black lodge um he's obviously got his own agenda it's also worth saying that um doppelkeeper directly asks if jeffries was the person that phoned him back in episode two or three um right jeffries wouldn't answer yeah yeah so, I, again he's real murky as a character but i kind of like that like you, you really have no idea what jeffries is up to and yeah I, th- I think that's. Yeah, I think it's cool, and it, uh, once again, it's difficult to. That character is, you know, it's a small bit part in Firewalk with me. It was a much bigger part they filmed, but you know, it's a small bit part, and 
Lynch himself had said that had Firewalk With Me been a success, there would have been another Twin Peaks movie in which David Bowie would have played a much more prominent role, and Bowie was very keen to do it. Um, And they sadly never got that opportunity. You know, Jeffries features quite heavily in the, you know, the secret world of Twin Peaks. I believe it's also, I've not read it yet, but I believe that, you know, he may be covered in the secret dossier of Twin Peaks as well. So I'm kind of hoping we get some more backstory, but it's clearly a character that Lynch is, and Frost is kind of, they're kind of enamored with him. And I love the fact that we get some stuff, but he is equally as mysterious, even though we get answers to certain things. Um, he's equally as mysterious, if not more mysterious now as a giant tea kettle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but... <laughs> That's its own baked-in mystique, mm-hmm. uh, you know. I, and I would say an e- an otherworldly giant sentient tea kettle and David Bowie would get along. They would be friends in real life. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't write an album about it. It would be his next incarnation after you know Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Duncan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We have to turn our attention to the woods of Twin Peaks. Yes. Where Steven and his lover Gretchen are holed up in the woods. And Steven is having a bad trip. Yeah, he's tripping balls, bull. Balls. Yeah, and not in a good way. It's a lot of... Uh, like him saying, I didn't do anything. I was just stoned. Yeah. And... Also, he starts saying he's going to kill himself. Well, he has a gun bull. <laughs> right. He does have a gun. He's not, yeah, it's not just, you know, like I'm drunk at a bar saying, I'm going to kill myself. Mm. It's him with a gun in his lap in the woods. If you're going to k- kill yourself, woods is a good place to do it. Yep. A uh, lot less cleanup is what I'm saying. This is a PSA. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to shoot yourself, first of all, you know, obviously don't. Um, but if you're going to, if you're insistent about it, go to the woods. Yeah. Have some. Like if you're, especially if you're a renter, have a little respect. Um, this no one a, wants to haunt an apartment. This has been a public service announcement by Duncan and Bogle Twin Peaksies, the number one podcast on iTunes. Yes, and so Stephen is a real charmer in this scene because he starts after after chit chatting a little bit about shooting himself, then he starts telling Gersten like, "I'm gonna miss fucking you." Mm-hmm. And you're just like, ugh, gross. Like, I can't, I don't want him to touch me, much less, you know, enter anyone. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's never great if you're looking at your lover, like, trying to claw imaginary bugs at their skin while they're fucking you. Right. And and then, again, Charmer, Steven says, you have such a good cunt. And you're like, oh, God, Steven, you're just like... Even your vocabulary is as gross and oily as you. Yeah, it's just not. It's not a nice character, bro. <laughs> no. So there's a dude walking his dog. Stephen is is flipping out. Uh, Gersten, uh, the girl, mm-hmm. um, like kind of scrambles away from him when they see the the guy walking his dog, and then we hear. Like, Steven's got the gun, then we hear a gunshot, because we're focused on Gersten, who is freaking out by the tree, mm-hmm. and then, but on the other side of it, so she can't see him, and we don't see him shoot himself, but that's the implication. Yeah. 
Yeah, this, this, by the way, ladies and gents, is uh, David Lynch giving me and Bo exactly what we want. Last week, uh, no Chad. Uh, Chad got arrested. Uh, this week, uh, we, we lose um, our little scratchy friend. And in the next episode, we'll lose another pain in the tits. So uh, Lynch yeah, is if... just fucking high-fiving and stroking us off. I love it. Actually, guys at home uh, and gals, obviously, guys, you know, gender non-specifically, um, you might want to play this little drinking game. Every time we say, and they're dead tonight, <laughs> just take a shot and uh, you'll go to the hospital. Yep. Um, there's a lot of it around. So, all right. So the guy with the dog, uh, it turns out is a resident of the Fat Trout trailer park. Yes. And he's heading back home and it, we see... Uh, him talk to Carl, and he points out Stephen's trailer. <laughs> so now Carl, White Magic, White Lodge Carl, mm-hmm. as he's known, White Lodge, uh, <laughs> White Lodge Carl, just different than Glass Bottom Annie. She charges extra. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's now maybe gonna go check it out i don't know we don't know but carl knows that some shit's going down in the woods Mm -hmm. all right then one of the craziest fucking things i've seen on this show (laughs) tell us about it in a long line of of crazy ass scenes the at the roadhouse Mm -hmm. uh the mc announces that uh sharp dressed man is gonna play yeah can i just say this might be one of my favorite things that's ever happened in tv history it's this whole thing is fucking amazing. It's like to, the, the, to, to yeah, coin a phrase. Yeah, they're like uh, it's still even just fucking amazing. The fucking balls, ball to write this scene. Like to write this scene. Well, I, I just I, it's I don't think like we're gonna talk about it all the. Like, I don't think we're gonna stress how fucking ludicrous it is, but how. And it's and it's levels of of insane ludicrousness. How fucking amazing that is! It yeah. It, all right, so listeners, uh, and there are more and more of you each week because we're the number one number one consuming all iTunes. Yeah. Um, you may recall in in the last episode we talked about James and his pal Freddie who are the security cards or whatever, and Freddy had the crazy story about seeing the fireman, a.k.a. the giant, who told him to go to a hardware store, grab uh, an open pack of gloves, and that glove would imbue his fist with the power of a pile drive. Yeah, th- by the way, and this this scene that you're talking about is not what I just mentioned about being fucking insane and over the top. Oh, okay. It's the fact that the, the, the announcer on the stage turns a fucking cardboard dial <laughs> and the music gets louder a giant fucking life-size man-size cardboard fucking volume control and cranks that up to fucking 10 and sharp dress man a remix fucking version of sharp dress man which by the way get the fucking twin peaks soundtrack and listen to this remix version it's fucking amazing cranks up and then he starts dancing and the crowd goes wild and i was watching this going this is fucking bitching yeah like the crowd does go wild i mean you can't like overstate that like they lose their shit for sharp dress man yeah 
it's it's fantastic. Giant cardboard Dale. So, giant cardboard Dale. Let's not undersell it. See, I assumed that was a prop, and there was a sound guy that was just pushing no, the this board. This is Twin Peaks, but you may, you might be right. <laughs> if if in fact the cardboard dial legitimate, because I just made the connection of like, oh, there's a sound guy taking care of this. Yeah. But if it's actually the cardboard dial, then you're right. Yeah, that's Twin Peaks. I, it's a cardboard need, fucking dial ball, right? <laughs> I I need to confirm that with uh mr lynch it's a fucking giant cardboard dial and yep cardboard <laughs> okay i'm in <laughs> small old man turns the dial up and then starts doing funky dance to shark dress, man. It's... it's fucking amazing all right but uh, but here's the crazy shit i'm talking about yep. i would i mean i didn't even latch on to the cardboard dial although now i gotta go back and watch that um <laughs> it's just fucking nuts it's the fact that all right so james and freddie magic fist, magic fist. green <laughs> Green yep. begloved, yep. Hulk smash, uh, Freddy. It's Hulk smash. Yeah, he's got a Hulk hand. <laughs> so Freddy rolls up uh, in there, and James is talking to Renee, who we saw way back in like episode one or two. I think it was episode one where he shows up in the uh, in the roadhouse, and she's like, "Hey, Renee, hi, Renee. You don't look like Laura, but you seem okay." Yeah, remember when I said and... James had come across as slightly more articulate? This scene is classic vintage dumb James, like really right. on the levels of of dumb dummery to a new level right and so he's like i just want to say you look pretty <laughs> and and meanwhile renee's there with her husband mm-hmm. who is like hey man this isn't cool and he's like who are you and she, he's like i'm her husband i've told you like 20 times <laughs> and he's like if you keep talking to my wife in front of me like this i'm gonna kick your ass and uh jane's like i just want to say her legs look good or whatever he says, but it's something equally dumb I, and offensive I believe, simultaneously. I believe what he said is, because um, he got asked, James got asked um, later, you know, well, he asked his wife what he said, and he, I believe that James, a.k.a. multiple Migs, said, I can smell your cunt. Right. I can smell your cunt. Could you imagine? Oh, no, not, not James saying it. No, no. <laughs> no. All right, we, we've use that word a lot tonight i'm starting to get uncomfortable um so you're almost scottish i know i'm right next door but i'm not and it still feels filthy to me and my puritanical upbringing cut 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 there i'm better uh good use good use good form thanks uh yeah well it, it's all context that's what's important <laughs> did you not say, just shouting it out did like you I say got context or context context uh yeah so so like renee's husband rightfully is grabbing james mm-hmm. and about to give him what give him one right in the puss duncan and it's a callback as well i know all the greatest hits man if twin peaks can do it so can fucking we we're the number one show on itunes um so so Renee's husband grabs James and James is like, hey, and like doesn't know what what's about that. It doesn't fight back at all because James doesn't understand fisticuffs, apparently. Yeah. And Freddie steps in and is like, hey, you, you need to stop. And they're like, you know, we'll take care of you in a second, James's friend. <laughs> and uh, then Freddie punches both of the dudes who are attacking James in the face. Mm-hmm. 
and to uh, somewhat paraphrase Chris Tucker, they got knocked the fuck out. It's not even that. I mean, they get like, put into some sort of stunned coma. One of them starts right? foaming from the mouth like he's got rabies. Yeah. And James is the one who's like, somebody should call an ambulance. <laughs> I don't think they're okay. And... But when he hits them, there's like a sound that's almost like Thor's hammer. There's like a sound of fucking lightning. Yeah, Mjolnir strikes them directly. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a true Hulk fist that he's wielding. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got legitimate superpowers. Mm-hmm. We have a superhero in Twin Peaks, and it's Freddy. We have someone touched with White Lodge magic. Yeah, no, that is some White Lodge shit right there. <laughs> and and good for it. Like, we need a guy like Freddy on our team. Yeah. Doppelcooper is some serious shit. Like, last episode, he's breaking people's arms and over-the-top arm wrestling yeah, tournaments. Like, yeah, and then... punching one guy in the face and watching it implode inwards. <laughs> He That's how Jason you know it's Voorhees. White Lodge. He killed Jason Voorhees. <laughs> he murdered Jason. <laughs> Jason's not coming Couple back. Cooper's a bad motherfucker. Yeah, it's like, like we've had 11, 12 movies of Jason returning from the dead and not being, he can't be killed. He can't, he got fucking blown up by the military and that didn't stop him. Doppelcooper punched him once in the face and ended the street ball. Oh man, it's so good. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, but that's how you know it's White Lodge, because Freddy stopped short of, uh, of like, bashing in their yeah. faces. It just, you know, knocks them all cockeyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, <laughs> as James says, like, they need a doctor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, there. all right, there's a little bit of a cock tease this show does here now, Ooh, Duncan. Tease me, bull. Because we, we go to the, the Las Vegas Police Department. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, the FBI agents, or the the cops are like, hey, we got Dougie and Janie uh, Jones here. And they open the door. (laughs) And it's Dougie and Janie Jones, yes, but not our (laughs) Dougie and Janie Jones. Because it's an old couple who have clearly been roused out of bed. Not too old, like middle-aged couple, with a mess of kids. Mm -hmm. And all the kids are unhappy about being at the police station. So uh, that's the cock tease. It's just like, oh, man, we almost had like because that's that's where my mind is when I'm watching this show at this point where I'm like, once Dougie and Janie are at the FBI or the FBI are in front of them, then we're, we're going to be close to Cooper because like the real agent Cooper, because once he interacts with the FBI, like that's what's been on his stupid thurgy mind Derg. the whole time is. You know, statue, um, all that stuff. Um, Sonny Jim's gone. Um, hi. Uh, that's what's on Dougie's mind. And uh, so anyway, but we don't get that here. And then we cut to, oh, this is so fucking good. We cut to Mr. Todd, who is our man in Las Vegas in the office, mm-hmm. who keeps getting the phone calls from Doppel Cooper uh, saying to handle Dougie Jones, which he hadn't been able to get done because Tom Sizemore is a big wuss. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Mitchums are now on Dougie Jones' side. So every attempt to kill Dougie Jones has failed. <laughs> and Mr. Todd was given an ultimatum by Doppel Cooper saying, like, you need to get this shit taken care of now. And shit didn't get taken care of. He asks uh, Roger to come in, who is the ginger-haired motherfucker that comes into Mr. Todd's office every now and again mm-hmm. to, you know, 
tell him like for Mr. Todd to say ominous shit about Doppel Cooper too. And so poor Roger just comes in cause he, you know, it, it probably has to do some paperwork or some shit. And Todd is telling him like, you need to find Anthony. But before any of anything can happen at Mr. Todd's office in, in regards uh, to the Dougie Jones situation, our old pal Chantel steps in. Oh yes. Does she ever. And as played by Jennifer Jason Lee of Hutch and Chantel fame, who are Doppel Cooper's two murderous buddies, mm-hmm. and probably the closest to real friends that Doppel Cooper has, because they don't really ask anything of them, and they like killing people. Yeah, as we will find out later. Um, so Sh- Chantel comes in, shoots both of them, shoots Todd in the head. He's done. Then shoots Roger in the chest turns around and just starts walking out the door and starts calling Hutch Mm -hmm. to tell him to like pick up some food for some fast food because she has a real junk food problem as we see all the time in this show, Mm -hmm. which is again, a great little touch. I I find endlessly hilarious. And as she's heading for the elevator though, we hear Roger back in Todd's office. (laughs) Gasping for breath. Yes. Sucking chest wound. And Chantel's like, oh, God damn it, hang on, baby. And then, like, turns heel, goes back into the office, and shoots Roger again and kills him. And But is real pissed off about having to do it. It's it's fantastic. It's a, All right, so, two deaths right there. How many people have died this episode? Is that three? Yep. Now, assumedly, Steven. Now, Mr. Todd. Now, Roger. That's three. Yep. Uh, Freddie did not kill people with this Hulk hand, so that's good. Nope. Um, all right. Oh, man, I left, I left something out. Oh. Um, when, oh, man, I can't believe we skipped over this shit. <laughs> uh, so, let's jump back a second to when Doppel Cooper got spit out of the Black Lodge. Yeah, because I, I, I did wonder if that scene had happened there or if it was somewhere else because when he gets kicked out he puts the phone down and our good buddy richard horn is there yeah asshole richard horn uh Such an asshole. who beat up his own grandmother yeah knocked his, and called her a cunt. yeah knocked his uncle over and left him strapped to a chair like writhing around as he attacked his grandmother um killed a kid remember when he plowed head first like with his van right in that kid and then just drove off like it was fucking nothing oh yeah beat up a started with child murder i almost forgot about that beat up a school teacher uh, and tried to kill her by burning down her cabin yeah the list goes on trailer let's we don't have to be that generous (laughs) um but yeah so he shows up and doppel cooper like richard's got a gun is pointing at doppel cooper and is like you know has been following him and uh ever since the shit with Ray and Doppel Cooper is like, Hey, who's your mother? And he says, you know, my mother is Audrey Horn. And then Doppel Cooper, uh, just kicks the ever living fuck out of Richard. Horn. <laughs> and I was like, yay. <laughs> yeah, that felt good. And then tells them to get in the truck. And then, so he sends a text to someone that is Las Vegas question mark. And we don't know who gets that text. 
And well, I think we do. Then, I think we do. Do we not? I, I just not at that moment. All right, go. Cool. And so then they pull off, uh, and then the convenience store kind of blinks out of existence. Yeah, it disappears, vanishes as if it was never there, bro. Yep, phases out. So, uh, sorry, listeners, I skipped over that. That's important. Richard Horn is with Doppel Cooper. Um, uh, so where was a? Uh, okay, yeah. So at the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department, uh, there's the drunk who's still repeating shit, uh, and they've locked up Freddie and James. Yeah. For, uh, you know, Freddie, Hulk, Handing those two dudes. Yeah, and James is arrested for out. being so fucking dumb. Right. For like, he probably was like, "I think I did it," <laughs> and they're like, "No, he's clearly got the Hulk hand." Are you sure? <laughs> you should. You should probably arrest me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I could be a tulpa. How do you know about that? Um, <laughs> so, James just sitting there talking about know. Black Lodge magic and people are just like, that's <laughs> right. silly, James. Remember when he used to say everyone didn't look like Laura? Now he's talking about, you know, the man from the other place. He, you know, Mike's arm. What <laughs> crazy guy. There was a guy jumping around in a mask. It was weird. How weird would the last episode have been um, if instead of Andy being dragged to the White Lodge, it'd been James? <laughs> Oh my god. Do you guys have bologna sandwiches here? <laughs> you imagine? I have an important message for yeah, you. You have a Laura. <laughs> so, is that a no on bologna sandwiches? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, so they locked up Freddie and James, and we find out that the guys uh, are in intensive care. Yeah. And uh, then they look over, and there's uh, Naido, Mm -hmm. who is our, you know, faceless, scarred face girl from the White Lodge. Yep. Or was found at the the White Lodge place. Um, And then she chatters at him, and then Chad screams at everybody again. And let's just take a moment to once more say, fuck Chad. Oh, fuck Chad. Um, all right. So there's a quick Tarantino-esque scene here between uh, Chantel and Hutch. Mm-hmm. Where they're eating uh, the, the combo meal that she ordered after assassinating two people. It's the, the meal of an and, assassin, Billy, in fairness. Yeah, right. If you want to be a lean and mean killing machine, Duncan... Burger King is is your guy. Uh, but they start... Chantel is complaining because she hasn't been able to torture anybody in a while. Well, that the killing has been too quick. Yeah. Like, she, it's not that she hasn't been murdering Duncan. Put that thought out of your head. <laughs> she's killing people. It's just that she's not able to, you know, sniff and smell the power drills and whatnot. Mm. And... Uh, so, and Hutch is like, yeah, we're going to do it pretty soon, baby. I promise. And like, you know, they're both just sociopaths. And I, I love this scene because it's just a chance for, you know, Tim Roth and Jennifer Jason Lee to hang out and do their thing. And that's always fun. Yeah. Like good, really right. good double bill, actually. Then those two, obviously we've mentioned before, obviously carrying on from, from the work on uh, the hateful eight, but. They've got really good chemistry on screen together. Uh, one of the most surprising combos uh, of characters, or new characters anyway, in the show 
that are really kind of gravitate it. Yeah, they're super fun to watch anytime that they're on screen. Um, so before we leave that scene, Chantel's like, hey, did you give me dessert, baby? And he's like, uh, you know what, dude. <laughs> and then we cut to Dougie. Dirt. Uh, speaking of dessert. <laughs> Dirty. Uh, getting a piece of cake from Janie. And Janie is like, all her dreams are coming true, Dougie. And so Dougie just starts fucking with shit on the table when he's not eating it. Like, he'll take a bite of cake and then move a salt shaker and then take a bite of cake and hit a button on the remote control, but it's the wrong button and doesn't do shit. And Dougie's like, <laughs> um, and then he'll take a bite of cake and, Durr. and uh, he keeps doing that until he finally hits the power button on the TV. And what should be on the Jones household television, Ooh. but Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, this is, this is important, ladies and gents. Because Dougie um, is watching the movie that David Lynch took the name Gordon Cole from. Mm -hmm. And he hears, at some point, mention the name Gordon Cole. Mm -hmm. And he just pauses. And then we hear some electrical scratching. And then he starts to look at the outlet. And then he starts to crawl toward the outlet, mm -hmm. fork in hand. And then he tries to stick the fork in right into the socket, but the tines are keeping him from doing it. But then he gets the great Dergy idea to turn the fork over. <laughs> and... And then jabs the fork in the wall. And of course, the entire house shorts out. Like, everything goes real bright for a second, and then it's black. Mm -hmm. And Janie screams. And that is uh, the last we'll see of Dergy Dur in this episode. Uh, or, Shocked to the shit. It might be the last time we ever see Dergy. Perhaps so. Perhaps mm -hmm. so. Um all right, so the next scene, the log lady, Margaret, calls Hall. I said appropriate. Sorry, yeah. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's always appropriate, Duncan. Can it feels inappropriate? Uh, can it feels inappropriate? And she starts every conver like this conversation the way she starts every conversation in this season of Twin Peaks, where she's like, Hawk. I'm dying. And he's like, yeah, I know, Margaret. I've been getting this call a lot lately. And she's like, no, for real this time. And he's like, oh, okay, shit. Um, and she tells him death is a change, not an end. Yeah. And then she says that it's time, and but that there is fear in letting go. And, oh, it's so heartbreaking. <laughs> anyway, she and then she says... Watch for that one, the one I told you about, the one under the moon on Blue Pine Mountain. And then she says, Hawk, my log is turning gold. The wind is moaning. I'm dying. And then uh, there is one final set of good nights from each of them. You know, it's a good night, Hawk. Good night, Margaret. And then he hangs up the phone. And then uh, very sadly says, 
Good night, Margaret. Ugh, Duncan. It got me the first time I saw it. Yeah. When they talked on the phone. This, when she says her log is turning gold, yeah. I almost wept. It, it takes, you know me, Bo. You know that we've watched, you've tried to pull trickery before uh, in our previous incarnation. <laughs> Jiggery, pokery. Yeah, yes. yeah, to try and get some sort of, like, like even even like the, you know a dry tear to appear in the corner of my eye and it doesn't work you know but I'm just not there's clearly something just not wired that way that I get emotional about stuff like that. Right. Very well, few... I get teared up telling what happened on the show. I almost rolled a tear there. Yeah, I, I, and I can count on one hand the amount of things I have ever seen that. I've physically made me cry or red for example like i always i always go back to the first time i ever read i am legend and when the dog dies you know that I, 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 yeah I, I was a bit of a mess um first time i saw edward scissorhands the ending like for some reason the ending just gets me to that movie it still does actually probably the only movie that does that uh, and there are a couple of other things i was very 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 close uh, to shed a wee tear at this bit, but the hairs on my arms were standing on end because there's something very poignant. I mean, the uh, Catherine Coulson who who plays the log lady was dying at this point. She she probably under any other circumstances probably shouldn't have come back to do the role, but you know, really wanted to to kind of close out this character, and it is it is a hugely powerful and poetic scene as well the stuff that she says albeit as you know steeped in mystery and riddles and all the rest um it's hugely powerful and i have i have loved the interactions between her and hawk in this season just over the phone i, th- I think they've been great like just because the of all the characters in twin peaks these two are the two that kind of get each other they know she speaks on a spiritual level that Hawk understands. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an incredibly powerful scene. In fact, almost unbefitting of a show like this. You know what I mean? This in like a movie or anything like that, any movie, and people would be talking about how powerful this fucking scene was. Almost feels like TV, you know, it's not worthy of a scene like this. And I... The, the, once again, the fucking balls on Coulson to do this in the state that she was in. And talk about something which was very much, that must have been on her fourth, you know, the fourth rock, like almost every hour is how ill that she was. And then to do a scene yeah. of a character that is dying and then recite essentially your, you know, kind of a eulogized version of how scary it is to be looking death in the face. I just, it's a fucking incredible scene. And it's one of one of many reasons I'll be arguing at the end of this this episode that this one kind of just pips out. Um, Sixteen. It's, yeah. I, it's, oh man. And this isn't even the no, the heart wrenching n- bit. The heart wrenching bit comes right after. Yeah. It, oh man. <laughs> oh shit. You're. I mean, like I'm gonna cry right now. Um, the the line, like what you were saying about the fact that, the, you know. Uh, Catherine Coulson and 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 Margaret Tannerman uh, are are living parallel lives, and you know very pointedly. Yeah. So I'm, you know I'm, I'm sure it was written that way, uh, knowing full well that she was in poor health. 
uh, or certainly adapted to those conditions. But when when she says the thing about, you know, it's time, like the acknowledgement of like, I'm sick and I'm tired and I hurt. And then says, but there's fear in letting go. And it's, oh, man, there's just so much human truth in that moment. Yeah. And so much, so much like bittersweet fear uh, in it. Uh, oh, it's, just, it's so good. It's, and, um, and, I mean, also but, to take into context as well, at the time that this would have been getting written, Mark Frost's dad, who played the doctor on the show, uh, was also dying. So, and he passed away not long yeah. after. So, you've got to wonder if that script's being tinged with that as well. And yeah, just. I, I, I kind of the thing is, what feels out of place in Twin Peaks. I don't know, if, but in the best possible way, it feels out of place. It doesn't feel like this show should have a sequence like this, but I think this show is better because it has it. Well, and we started the episode, remember, with this big emotional, like more of a joyous emotional release yeah. of Ed and Norma, and and then we're ending the show. Uh, or, or just about the end in the show with with a really poignant, touching, sorrowful moment. Uh, that I think there's you know I mean the show has certainly earned because of what it's done and and the length of time that it's been. Uh, with Catherine Coulson as this iconic character, yeah. but uh, for anyone who says that like Lynch's problem in film is not injecting. Uh, like an, an emotion emotionality to mm -hmm. it then you're just wrong there there is that like not every film certainly there are some that are more uh more you know cerebral than emotional but a scene like this man like and and the scene with ed norma he can like he knows how to how to yeah. jerk a tear it, it does it, it, yeah i think if just because he doesn't do it in his regular stories doesn't mean he can't do it it's just he has yeah. made Aren't a conscious choice that narratively and his story that he's telling you is your you know his movie that you're watching that he has felt that it's not needed or you know it's against the grain of what he wants to portray. That doesn't mean that the guy can't. He is an incredibly gifted individual, and I'm not even just saying filmmaker or anything. He is incredibly gifted, and he is like it's that way where you know like you. Like, let me let me use a horribly like horribly matched kind of story of comparison, right? I, Please the, do. Now, people that follow me maybe know that I am a keen baker. I like to bake. Um, it's something that I I kind of started very late on in life. Uh, I didn't have any urge to do any sort of baking at all when I was younger. Uh, no interest in it. And when I like. I found it like when I turned like 31 or something like that, I, I kind of just started, oh, I'll, I'll bake a banana loaf or something. And I, I just started doing it. Uh, and it turns out that I have a bit of an aptitude for it that I didn't realize that I had. It's very easy for I can I can do things which I hear people tell me are very difficult. And I've just, I just adapted to it really quickly. Uh, and one case in point was this year where, I mean, do, do you have scones over in America or, or of course we well do. you might call them something else i don't know like you guys have biscuits and biscuits over here are like rolls that's what we would call them and call them biscuits uh because biscuits are sweet and you guys have 
not that. Although you're, we call those cookies. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. So this is what I'm saying. So when I ask you if you've got scones, you, you can see my logic coming behind it. But uh, scones are like notoriously fickle things to make, like really, really fickle. So much so that I've never really wanted to make them before because I, I don't like failing at things. Um, and and plus, you know, like if you're going to bake something, you, you don't want to. You spend time doing something and it turns out horrible that you can't eat, you have to spin it. Um, and like about a month and a half ago, on a whim, I just decided that I would, you know, oh, I'm going to bake some scones. Um, my first attempt, and they turned out fucking perfect, like actually perfect. That's David Lynch in this scene. David Lynch doesn't show like emotionality in his, his movies, really, or maybe not like high impact, like emotional scenes of grieving or anything like that in his movies. But see, when he does, he nails it first time. In fact, not only does he nail it first time, he pretty much does it better than most of the TV. I've never seen, like, I've never watched a TV show that, that in one sequence with a woman holding a fucking log has made me, like, kind of well up like I did watching this scene. And that's the fucking, that's the level that you're dealing with. I underestimate or put down someone because they don't do something doesn't mean they can't. And I would argue that even in his more traditional films like Elephant Man and Straight yeah, Story, Story, he definitely plucks those strings yeah, of, there. Of well. course he does. Of course, it, it, uh, it's it's a it's a tool in his toolbox to use as a filmmaker, and you need to know when it's appropriate to use it. And it, I think, yeah, I think your 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 statements right. I, I think he sometimes is unfairly maligned that his movies maybe lack those things. But I would say if you insert them and if you insert a sequence like that in a lost highway, it just fucking ruined the movie. It would be so tonally out of place um, that it just would be weird. Uh, but it was perfect. And it's perfectly placed in this episode as well. I think it's all about timing as well. He places this one, like you see, as a bookend of, uh, you know, Norma and Big Ed really beginning a new life together this new chapter of their life together and love and all the rest and you know bookends this with with this very emotional uh, passing on of an iconic character in the show that's clever fucking filmmaking you know what i mean ah i don't know it's just all right well let's let's get the real twist of the night oh uh, yeah it's like that Duncan almost here, cry at this scene well wait to see this yeah right like are you feeling human emotions <laughs> human. duncan um but so frank is looking at a screensaver of fish <laughs> and he is told to to meet everyone in the conference room because hawk has assembled there lucy and andy and frank and he announces to them that you know margaret is dead yeah. and they all take a moment to mourn and it's it's really nice but then we cut to her cabin yeah. where the lights blaze bright and then fade to darkness. And we know that she has gone. Yeah. Oh, Powerful shit, man. Powerful shit. It's really good. Uh, you know, we said all the things about how good he is at doing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> like, FYI, the, the, listeners out there, David Lynch is pretty good at what he does. <laughs> is a pretty good director it turns out <laughs> um so 
we leave uh, that emotional moment for one of of chaos and dissonance and confusion, yep. uh, where Charlie and Audrey are maybe headed to the roadhouse, and they're now standing at the door at yeah. least, and Charlie has his coat Charlie's on. Charlie's a dick. Like, Charlie I is a dick. Kind of love it though as well. <laughs> well, but also like he is the the cuckolded husband who's like, look, I'm trying to do what you want me to do. Do you want or do you want to go? And she's like, that's that's why I fucking hate you, Charlie. And he's like, but all right, I I'm taking off my coat in two minutes. If you don't leave, like if we don't go, I'm gonna sit back yeah. down. And she keeps arguing and arguing, and she's kind of continually picking a fight with him, and talking about Billy and how much she likes fucking Billy instead of him, yeah. and all that that kind of thing. And finally, he uh, just takes off his coat and goes and sits down. <laughs> And and so in my notes, there's a bunch of questions like, is she is she almost certainly trapped somewhere, yeah. or at least in some sort of jail of her own? I making? had the same thought yesterday when I was watching this episode, and we get a very brief glimpse um, in the next episode of something that we both obviously kind of hypothesized. However. It did occur to me, just the way my brain works, that she keeps talking about Billy, and I was like, that Billy Zane, you say? Uh, <laughs> I'm just waiting in the wings. I just, I can't help, why, why is Audrey so obsessed with someone called Billy? Billy Zane plays himself in this show, as all bets are fucking off. And this will, this, this, you know, someone needs to find this series and put it in a time capsule to preserve it for everyone else uh, in perpetuity. You know why she's obsessed? Why? It's the downstairs <laughs> that the ladies. I thought you were going to say, it's the dick. <laughs> no, that's. That's correct, Duncan. How dare you? Um, so, uh... yeah, so. That, that Billy Zane character is all about innocence. Innocence corrupted. Yes, you're right. Innocence corrupted. Um, so, but, but yeah, so so we kind of bounce out of that scene ultimately, but we leave it in the same place we found it, which is Audrey in a state of near panic, but not going. Yeah, anywhere. she's. It's waiting for. Yeah. It's waiting for Godot. Only it's she's, Audrey. She. Yeah. Uh, but that's not even like we we close out the episode back at the road house as we do pretty much every every episode and it's another one of these tangential sort of you know one-off character sort of people that we maybe see before we've seen you know uh, all these new what what appears to be just twin peaks residents that just happen to go there every single night and um this scene's fucked up though <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, Charlene Yee, uh, who is a, a actress and writer, and I think director as well, or producer or something. Like you know, she's surprisingly got her fingers in a lot of stuff you wouldn't expect. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I was kind of hoping. Like I, I, I don't know if the, is, this is still the case, but I knew at one point she and uh, what's his face, uh, Wally Brando, um, <laughs> Michael Cera. Yeah. Uh, were dating, uh, and I was like, "Oh my God, is Wally gonna show back?" I don't think we're gonna get that, but that needs to I, happen. I don't, 
I, I don't either, and I would have been surprised by it, but when I saw her show up, I was like, oh, please. Oh, please, just give me one more yeah, little I think taste. Wally Brando is the one that's ultimately going to send Bob back to hell. <laughs> Holy... Dude, if he rolls up to save the day... <laughs> oh, man, this... I mean, it's already the greatest show ever, but it would just... At that moment, would be like, all right, I can die now. I can... You know, my log is turning to gold, Duncan. I don't have to do anything else my um, microphone is turned to gold uh, <laughs> right oh hey speaking of the my log has turned to gold one of the reasons i made a note of that uh i know i've been kind of bouncing around but i don't want to forget this because uh it, it sounded smart when i thought of it and i don't want to let those moments go by duncan <laughs> but like the the golden orb that was sent by the fire yes that maybe that what we're saying when she's saying my log is turned to gold and we know that the the log is in many ways the manifestation of her husband yes who was if you've been listening to this who show. was a fireman oh yeah that's oh there that's right i'd forgotten that oh fuck <laughs> um it's the circle of life the way i said oh fuck there was like like I had just like slipped my hand on a silky thigh, Duncan. It was just, oh fuck, this is good. It was oh, I was I was excited. But anyway, so Charlene Yee is crawling on the floor. That's not why I'm excited because uh, she is sitting in a booth at the Roadhouse uh, um, initially, and some leather be jacketed gentlemen show up and physically move her out of the booth. And then as the music is playing, she's crawling on her hands and knees and getting more and more visibly upset mm -hmm. as people are dancing around her until she just starts screaming. It's pretty fucked up. It's really unsettling. And again, if you're looking at this as a movie, we've been dealing with the, these kind of like we started off with this really crowd pleasing moment with Ed and Norma. We're doing some Black Lodge shit. We get into the thing with Margaret. And obviously, sharp dressed man. Let's not forget oh, that giant uh, cardboard fucking volume dial. The one of sure the greatest is. things that's ever happened in the history of TV. But in the last couple of scenes of this episode, you know, we have the death of of the log lady, which is is really mm -hmm. sad. But it feels fairly conventional still. And then we have this ending with Ruby. I think is is the name they give her in the. Um, uh, in the credits of the show, but the Charlene Yee character of just like this, we don't know exactly what's going on. We don't know why she just doesn't stand up. We don't know. Like, is she upset about the guys moving her? Does she know those guys? What the fuck is going on? All I know is that she's crawling on the floor of the roadhouse and screaming, which is a, a progression. Like we've seen a lot of weird stuff at the tail ends of these yeah. episodes happen at the roadhouse. Usually women, usually either talking shit about some people but there's always a little bit of eh, something's a little bit off here kind of thing and this is the most overt like this is disturbing to watch and to see someone crying and screaming like this as they crawl on the ground mm -hmm. it's 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 really unsettling yes and that would be the end of episode number 15 and bo Oh, yeah, so let's continue the journey. Let's continue this yeah, sweet, let's... sweet ride right into episode 16. Absolutely. Uh, listeners, buckle in. We are not. We ain't stopping for nothing right now. Uh, episode 16 opens with Doppelcooper 
and Richard Horn in the yep. truck. Uh, awesome. Doppel Cooper. Awesome, <laughs> I'm telling you, like this is uh, the audience, <laughs> listeners, <sighs> Mia Mores. <laughs> the way I describe episode 16, like I'm not even going to make a case for it when I finish this episode. I'm going to drop the mic. <laughs> And then you decide you you let Duncan make his defense. Every ounce of this episode is fucking gold. <laughs> All right, here we go. Doppel Cooper and Richard are in the truck. Doppel Cooper is pulling over at a crossroads, and he throw or he throws on the spotlights uh, mounted on his truck, moving them around to find this cluster of rocks. Boom! It's uh, the coordinates, yep. right? Like the uh, and and Doppel Cooper says he's looking for a place uh, when he's talking to Richard. And he says, uh, I I got coordinates from three people. Two of them matched. One of them didn't. What would you do? And uh, Richard Horn is like, I, I guess I'd go to the place where two matched. And Topple Cooper's like, yeah, you're not a dumb kid. <laughs> and is is like, hey, uh, oh, all right. So as this is going yeah, down, let's not forget this. Who shows this up? Fucking struck a genius. Fucking Jerry Horn. Who we forgot all about was trapped in the woods. Remember? Right has been has been talking to his foot and running around in the woods like a crazy. Not his person. foot, Bo. Not his foot. <laughs> right, I am not your foot, of course. Um, so he is trying to watch them through he he's on like an opposite hill he's at a distance away from them but he can see them they don't see him he pulls out his binoculars but he can't figure out how to use them so he's looking at them backwards and it's all fucked up so jerry uncle jerry by the way um is hanging out or would he be great uncle jerry i guess that that's what he would be um is hanging out watching his niece's son hanging out with a guy who looks like agent cooper i don't did they ever meet i don't remember if they met in the original um, um maybe not on screen if but they you did, would it imagine was they probably did so they were staying in the same hotel for a while i love the fact that his binoculars yeah. that you're talking about here how he makes out anything that's beyond like ridiculous because he's looking through them the wrong way so that technically pushes him further away so yeah but it's fucking it magnifies, but it tra- it's weird. So, um, Doppel Cooper uh, is like, you're a strapping young man. Get up there with this counter. It'll beep when you're on it. And Richard uh, is like, all right, I'll, <laughs> you know, clearly you can kick my ass. So I'll, that I will do what yeah, you Yeah, you killed Jason Voorhees. Let, right, me, climb, Jason <laughs> let Voorhees. me climb up this fucking rock. So he does, you know, he's got this little uh, tracker, like a GPS device, and it's, you know, beep, 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 as he's getting closer to the top of the rocks. And then, so he finds the spot, and then he's shocked, like physically shocked, not surprised. (laughs) He's, you know, zap, and starts screaming, and then just disappears into uh, a bunch of sparks. And Doppel Cooper's response is, Oh yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> which by the way, can we just take a second here to say another incredibly annoying, loathsome character is gone from Twin Peaks? Yay! Yeah. So his son 
has because that's what he said we get confirmation because yeah. as he's leaving he says goodbye my yeah. son and we know for sure oh my god doppel cooper totally got down with audrey and this was yeah, the, product, the time which certainly yeah i think i still i'm still going with rape here when she was in the hospital May- maybe so whatever it was but i mean now we know there is a direct connection and that makes audrey's situation a lot more suspect because now we know faux shizzle that there is some black lodge shit going yes. down and i mean we don't know that that's what's happening with her but how could it not be if she bore doppel cooper's child one way or the other she's affected by this so anyway we'll get mm-hmm. to it but fucking a and then so in this scene richard gets vaporized Jerry gets pissed at the binoculars for showing him his great nephew getting reduced to ash atop Doppel Cooper's test site. And, uh, and we also, you know, find out the Audrey thing, like this opening scene fucking rocking yeah, it. It's, it's a, it's a great scene. It is a great scene. And what there's, it, it clears up a character who like, to be, let's be honest here, like Richard Horn's story arc, probably like for, for all intents purposes was kind of finished anyway and um, we get the reveal of something really cool we also find out that three people have given cooper uh coordinates two of them match to what is essentially a booby trap um the, one of one of many that appears to be in the real world uh, so they've got a hit out on double coop uh you know they obviously they try to bring him back through a car lighter um and they have these weird booby traps set up all over to try and lure him to die so he will be returned to the Black Lodge and Coop is one step ahead of every single one of them Doppel Cooper has enough Cooper in him to not fall for that old, the old trick the old fake <laughs> vortex to the Black Lodge routine. <laughs> the old the old fucking the old uh, something funny that's what it is you might as well draw a tunnel on a rock. I won't fall for that one either. <laughs> meep, meep. <laughs> fucking Acme Rock. Uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a great opening sequence. Yeah, all right, so we're starting with a bang. Then literally. we head over to... <laughs> the, yeah, quite literally. Um, We head over to the Jones household and uh, Chantel and Hutch roll up in their van. And we know they're for real. So they but we know, well, we don't know this, but like the, when last we saw Dergy, he had his hand stuck in an electrical socket. Thanks to the fork from the cake that Janie brought him. And um, then while they roll up and are kind of checking out the house, scoping that out, the FBI shows up. Angry FBI. Angry FBI. And they're banging on the door and, and looking around, but nobody's home. Presumably, Thurgy has been taken to the hospital for doing some real Thurgy kind of things. And uh, they leave uh, Wilson, one of the FBI agents, is left behind to stake out the house. And the main dude, Headley is his name, he goes to the Lucky Seven. You know, Dougie's job. And... Then we move over to Dougie. So he's unconscious in the hospital, obviously, and they say that he's in a coma. And then, Duncan, 
fucking amazing shit starts happening again. Because <laughs> the Mitchum show. Yeah, up. Like, like, like once again, another duo that we saw right at the very start when I first saw them, I was like, eh, interesting. Kind of cool to see uh, uh, Jim Belushi back on the screen. This is, you know, playing something a bit more serious. Awesome and all the rest have once again rapidly become two of my favorite things in this entire series. Yeah, it it's amazing to me how much I love yeah. both of them, not just uh, Jim Belushi. I'm trying to get the other guy's name. Oh, he's now. been in I loads of things, the other guy. He's been in loads of things. He usually yeah. plays villains. Uh, yeah, I'll find his name here in a second and make myself feel better about uh, things. Um, Bradley and Rodney Mitchum. Robert Nepper is his, his, his name. K-N-E-P-P-E-R. Um, and like you said, he's been in everything. He was uh, Hunger Games and, uh, I mean, just too too much shit to mention. Hard Target 2, The Flash, mm-hmm. R.I.P.D., Percy Jackson. Anyway, see him in a bunch of shit. Um, but yeah, so uh, Bradley and Rodney Mitchum roll up in there and they have like a big bouquet and, and kind of, uh, you know, things to wish Dougie well, because they're big Dougie Jones fans at this point. And they also brought fucking finger sandwiches, (laughs) which is the greatest, the greatest choice of hospital Mm -hmm. food. Cause it is, uh, and they're like, Hey, we know you don't want to cook anything. And it's, uh, candy, Mandy and Sandy are in tow with all these like, you know, covered finger sandwiches, platters, like they're hosting a party. And then they announce like, oh, hey, look, we know that you're not in a position to do a, uh, a bunch of shopping or you don't want to deal with it. So we're about to go to your house and stock your pantry and fridge as well. Just being salt of the earth. Nice guys. Uh, about this whole kind of nice guys. <laughs> and. Oh, man, get ready. All right. So we leave the Mitchums uh, with the plan to go stock the fridge. And. Then we get a little moment where Gordon Cole uh, in the hotel room where they've got kind of their base of operations that we see him for a second and there's some beeping going on, which matches the beeping of Dougie's monitors at the Mm -hmm. hospital. We're getting close to (laughs) him. Just, oh, we're getting close. And so Bushnell is, uh, is watching while Janie take Sonny Jim to the bathroom. Then he gets a call from the, from Phil at the office. Who's like, Hey, the FBI were just here and are on the way to the hospital right now. And, uh, Bushnell's like, okay. I mean, I guess we're going to see what they, what the fuck they want. And we cut away from that. Oh, we're so close. (laughs) Um, we cut away from that and you can feel it, man. Like this episode just kind of builds and builds to Mm -hmm. this moment that we're going to get to in a sec. But this scene, like, we're seeing Gordon, like, for no other reason than to associate Gordon Cole and Dougie Jones, who had just heard that name. So, we are, things are coming together in Dougie's head. Um, I mean, it's just like (laughs) mathematics just ticking behind his eyeballs. You know. Oh, uh, uh, apple pie, coffee, uh, Gordon Cole. Dougie, Dougie Jones um, is the beautiful mind. <laughs> yeah, it kind of, kind of is. Uh, Ed, Ed Harris and all. Um, 
So uh, we cut away from that, though, to interrupt an awesome thing that's about to happen with a totally awesome scene. <laughs> like, all right, all right, we're going to get to the thing. But let's just pause and be rocking for a second. Because sh- we cut back to the stakeout where Chantel and Hutch are still watching Dergie's house while the FBI is also staked out. So the the supposition, Duncan, is that, oh my God, they're going to get squared off. Like the FBI and Chantel and Hutch are on a collision course here. Then... A limo shows up with a van behind it, and it's the Mitchums and Mandy and Candy and Sandy um, with the van, uh, and the van is is chock full of food. Like, they're legitimately stocking their house with food. For the next year and a half. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so we've got the FBI, the Mitchums, and Double Cooper's assassins all on the same block just all trying to figure out like what the next move is and then in fucking david lynch awesome fashion let's throw in a bit of real world randomness <laughs> and so this dude pulls up in a, a a car that says zawaski accounting on the side of it and he pulls up directly in front of uh hutch and chantel and he he says hey you're parked in my driveway and they're kind of maybe a little bit blocking his driveway, but it ain't a big deal. And they tell him to fuck <laughs> off, which Hutch and Chantel mm-hmm. would do. And But this Zawaski cat climbs back in his car and rams the front of their van to push them out of the way. Because apparently he's chosen this day to lose his shit. Or this, like, in my mind, the backstory is he had a terrible day at work. <laughs> He comes home, he's just primed mm-hmm. to blow. And then see somebody that's kind of, sort of, maybe blocking a little bit of his yep. driveway. He's, and just, like, He's just the snaps. Twin Peaks equivalent of falling down? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think that's what's happening here. And But regardless of the backstory, like, I'm making all that up, but what really happens is that while he's trying to push their van out of the way with his car, Chantel starts shooting Mm -hmm. at him. And then this dude, turns out, has a goddamn Uzi in his car. And then he starts shooting back and and clips Chantel in the shoulder Mm -hmm. initially. And so they ram his car to try to knock him over because he's out of his car behind it shooting at them. And they ram his car. The car hits him. He goes sprawling. And then they take off. But then the Zawaski cat gets up and just starts unloading his Uzi into their van. And it chews up Hutch in the back and hits uh, Chantel as well. And then he ejects the clip loads another and keeps shooting until this van just kind of sadly limps off the road and comes to a stop and the fbi then launches into action once everything's done and they're like hey put your gun down he's like all right i did what i came to do like i got the i got them out of my driveway so he goes fairly quietly and there's a great moment where the Mitchums 
who have just been watching all this go yeah. down are like, the fuck is going on in this neighborhood? <laughs> and Rodney, not Jim Belushi, Robert Nepper, uh, says, you know, people are under a lot of stress. It's It really cracked me up. But it's this crazy action, violent scene in the middle of this episode that gets rid of Hutch and Chantel and in a totally random yeah, way. to me it's a misstep, though. I, I, oh, I like I, it. I like, the, I like them dying, but I don't like the, the fact that we just invent a character purely just to do that. And I, I know, you know what I mean, I... You have a tantalizing... Maybe it's to, to to lull you into a false sense of security that you have um, the FBI there and the Mitchums so you could be you know, some sort of Mexican three-way standoff sort of thing. And that's not Right, what, it's subverting expectations. Yeah, it's, I'm going to put all these pieces in place and then instead of doing the thing you want me to do, here's yeah. this random roll so, of the dice that... I, that it doesn't necessarily that. work for me as well as it works for you. I, I, I kind of felt a bit clumsy. But that being said, we get some violence on the screen and some blood and I, I do quite like that. And there is something quite satisfying about seeing Tim Roth Shot and bleeding. I don't know if it's just like shades of Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Sawaski shot me, Larry. <laughs> I can't believe he shot me. So yeah, I you're not gonna <laughs> die. <laughs> so yeah, so there, there is something quite satisfying uh, uh, about that, and the fact that they both just started, like I say, the hateful eight, where they both get fucking riddled with bullets. Um, that was kind of cool. I just, yeah, I, I don't want, I, the show to me has been doing so many things right that this just kind of felt um, not as polished as some of the other ones. I think it could have made, I think, it, but I know what he's trying to do. I just don't necessarily think the execution is as good as some of the surrounding things. Plus, it's about to be eclipsed by one of the greatest things that's ever happened, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're right. You're right about that. I think you're wrong about. I like that scene a lot. Maybe that's where we differ. Yes. Is that like the reason I like this so much is because that's yeah. Works I, this, for it me. marks and it down for that me. That scene yeah. works so for it, you. It, it marks it a bit down for me. It's why we'll get into more detail. But it's why I kind of opt the way I do uh, between the two episodes. All right. All right. Well, let's let's get to it, Duncan. Oh, no. All right. The teasing's done because back at the hospital. We start to hear a ringing tone, kind of like what we heard at the Great Northern, the one that um, uh, Ben Horn and uh, Ashley Judd were chasing around. And so Bushnell wanders out, and then Mike appears in the chair, and and then disappears, and Cooper snaps up immediately. And it's it's Dale Cooper. There was no question, 100%, the moment he snaps up, it's him. And my note here is, the sleeper has awakened. <laughs> <laughs> M- M- Ming- Mings was ding dong. Kirk is gone. Oh, I mean, I think we're uh, all right. Let's let's just get through this. We'll, Although we'll that should be this, the name but... of your biography. The sleeper has awakened. The sleeper oh, has awakened. Oh. I like it. Um. So Mike is like, "Hey, uh, Doppel Cooper's still on the loose," and Mike gives Cooper the ring. The, the ring that'll fucking send you to the Black Lodge on a rail. And uh, Cooper then uh, asked Mike if he has the seed, 
which is the the gold thing that Dargy turned into. And Cooper says he needs Mike to make another one and kind of plucks a hair from his head and hands it to, to Mike. And Mike seems to know what the fuck is going on, which my obvious guess is he is creating a better version of Dargy. Oh, uh, by giving a little bit more of his DNA. And when he says, do you have the seed? It's like, oh, well, that's the essence of this fake. Cooper. Oh, right. And then if you give it a little more Cooper, it's going to be better than old. That's Dirty. not what I thought. That's quite interesting. So, I thought um, Durgate was going to create a, um, essentially a clone, which he will lure uh, double coop to try and kill him. That's how he'll get him. A decoy. decoy uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I kind of went more for the, like, he's he's I not just going like to disappear one. Yeah, from I like Jamie's your one life. better. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. It could be either. It could be both. It doesn't, Who the fuck it doesn't goes matter. this stage? <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, I don't care. Just give it to me. Um, so, uh, Janie comes back in with Sonny Jim and they're clearly surprised that he's up and about. And he's like, Bushnell, give me some of those sandwiches. <laughs> and, and so he's, you know, like getting some food, getting his, uh, his nosh on. And he calls the Mitchums and, uh, tells them to get a jet ready. Like he is fucking Dale Cooper. It's just, let's get, let's get this going. And the twin peaks, like the theme starts oh, yes. playing. And it is it is a total, you know. <laughs> and then as he, when he's on the way out, he he like writes uh writes something down, and he hands the note to Bushnell, and he says, "Bushnell, you're a good man. When the FBI shows up, you give them this." And uh, he's like, "Well, what what do I tell the FBI w- about you?" And he goes, "I am the FBI," and you're like. <laughs> yes you it, yes yes you are god damn it round of applause i i've probably mentioned this before on this this very show and, and if i have forgive me but it's it might be worth repeating here the greatest guitar solo i have ever seen in my life happened during a performance on the rock and roll hall of fame show uh where they were doing while my guitar gently oh, yeah. and it was like you know Usual suspects, you know, Tom Petty's in there and uh, George Harrison's kid and uh, Dylan and, you know, I mean, Traveling Wilburys at also. And then they get to the solo and out strolls motherfucking Prince. <laughs> Had not been on stage before. Rolls out. Lays down the tastiest, nastiest guitar solo you ever heard takes the guitar off hurls it up i never saw it come down i don't know what happened to it i assume it evaporated and then walks back off magic and that's it (laughs) yeah i think i think that's where prince is now i think he's he's in the white lodge that guitar solo when i first saw it my jaw just dropped and i knew i had seen something Mm -hmm. special and in this scene with the original Twin Peaks music playing and Kyle McLaughlin, McLaughlin, uh, McLaughlin, McLaughlin, Kyle, Kyle McNulty, (laughs) uh, Kyle McLaughlin 
playing Agent Cooper again for the first time since season two. Like when we saw him at the beginning of the return, he was kind of in in the waiting room and being weird. You know, it's not. Yeah, it wasn't speaking. It wasn't a speaking role. So right. So seeing him like this for the first time in so long and him announcing, I am the FBI was one of those moments of like, that was Prince at the rock and roll (laughs) hall of fame. That is, I will never forget watching this Mm. moment on television uh, because it, it was so meaningful. It was so well done. I mean, we've been waiting for it forever and you know, for some people, maybe it's never going to be worth the wait because the wait was just too much. But this was one of those things of like, oh my God, just uh, David Lynch just played me like a fiddle and I was glad it happened. You know, I was so excited at, uh, when this scene happened and throw like I high five myself, <laughs> kick the cat. I loved it. I, I and And so like he takes off and we see like they're heading for the car and uh, Janie is, is starting to drive because, you know, he can't drive. And uh, Agent Cooper is like, I'll drive. And they get in the car and, like, Janie gives them the, I'm totally going to fuck this guy tonight <laughs> look. You know, like, I, I don't know what happened in, in the coma, but whatever it was, I'm it into met, it. He has been it headed. He's been heading the right direction for a while. He met Nadine. Brain aside. The coma hawk came to him in a vision book and told him that he was, in fact, Agent Cooper. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I know you! <laughs> You're Agent Cooper! That's, we said... We, we, Dirty! We... <laughs> no! Wrong! <laughs> we said, we said many many months ago in anticipation without even knowing this that you know Nadine had the ability to um, uh, coma travel uh, to speak to other people in comas we didn't specify that it wasn't time travel Bo yeah very possibly she 100% what happened she is the the Freddy Krueger of the (laughs) Twin Peaks universe (laughs) bitch Um, alright so (sighs) I'll tell you what, let's get to something else awesome that happens in this episode because it doesn't uh, stop. Yeah, it does. Duncan. The ball keeps rolling. All right, so Agent Cooper is back. Uh, feels good. I'm excited. Then we look down and we see. Uh... Oh, I'm sorry. I was reading my <laughs> own notes and that was, that was not the place to start. Um, we cut to Diane. Yes who uh, is looking down at her phone, and it's Doppel Cooper's text. It's uh, all with a smiley face. And she does not look happy. In fact, her hand is a bit shaky as she continues to drink. And uh, she says she remembers. And then she sends him some coordinates and says, I hope this yeah. works. And as she puts the phone away, or maybe she's grabbing smokes, one or the other, we see that there's a gun in her purse. She has a gun in her purse bowl. And then, Duncan, the Doppelcooper version of American Woman starts (laughs) up. That, that, like, dark industrial shit the first time 
we saw Doppel Cooper rolling down the road mm-hmm. at night, you know, with the cones of, of light in the pitch black. Uh, it's that again, except this time it's Diane walking through the hallways. Let's rock indeed, <laughs> Duncan. She's rolling into uh, towards Gordon's room. He turns to the door and says, Come in, Diane. Gordon's fucking Yoda. <laughs> oh, he's so good. And then Tammy and Albert are also there. So we got the whole Blue Rose group. And Diane uh, says she's going to tell him about the night Cooper came to visit her. And uh, again, another thing we've been waiting for a while for delivered. Yes. Um, it was three to four years after she had initially stopped hearing from yep. Cooper. And one night he walks in and she says there was no knock. Uh, she says she was happy to see him and that he was only curious about kind of what had been going on at the bureau. And then he kisses her and she says that had only happened once before. So it, it, that implies the original Agent Cooper, real Agent Cooper, had one time yeah. kissed Diane, which is awesome. Um, but then they didn't do anything. It's all like, oh, we can't, <laughs> oh, you know. Uh, and then their relationship is friendly, <laughs> but there's that tension. It's like a real Bond they, money they, penny they thing. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, no. Uh, I didn't mean to. Yeah. Uh, 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 Diane. I better go. I, I hold in my hand a ounce of regret. <laughs> it's um, like the. <laughs> it's the <laughs> that's so good. Uh, it's like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Eddie Izzard skit where he's talking about the weird movies that get made and, and Britain was like uh, the, the the room at the top right, of the stairs. Oh, yeah, sure. like, I, oh, I, oh, I didn't. Did you? you can, sorry, sorry, Simon. Can't you see I'm stacking matches? Oh yes, I'm sorry. I better go. I think you shall. <laughs> yes. Perhaps you better have. Perhaps you better have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that moment. Uh, yeah 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 very much uh (laughs) but so anyway then she knows something's wrong and that she gets afraid and then when she gets afraid doppelcooper smiles and she understands that what she's dealing with isn't if not not agent cooper that there is something clearly wrong with him. And then he rapes her. And then she says after that, he takes her to somewhere like an old gas station, which we know now is the Dutchman's. And then she says that she sent Doppelcooper uh, the coordinates. And then she says, I'm not myself. Duncan. She there. There's a couple of teases which I really like, where she dips her hand it's in very her well purse done. and then like pulls out mm. the cigarettes. It's very, it's almost Hitchcockian. And then finally, she dips her hand into the purse one final time, crying, upset, saying, "I'm not me," which, if you remember, was the original Blue yes. Rose case. And she pulls out the gun. And Tammy and Albert fucking smoke. Yeah, there's her. no, there's no like, there's no second thought at all there. It's just like, pow. Right. And then 
uh, she is sucked mm-hmm. out of the room. Obviously. <laughs> and she and at, during before she got shot and sucked out of the room, she mentions a sheriff station that he uh, Doppel Cooper took her to a sheriff station. And so Gordon says, sheriff station. And then we cut back to Diane. But Duncan, she is no longer at no, the hotel. No, she is in a, a room that we are very familiar with because we are. We're, we're, it seems to be where everyone ends up that has been a, a product of being manufactured. Um, yeah, by, by uh, the old- Mike. Mike tells her <laughs> she was manufactured up in the up in the yes. red room. Uh, and then, <laughs> in typical Diane fashion, which is awesome. She says, I know. Fuck you. And then she just starts shivering and collapsing and leaves another orb behind. I I thought this one looked silver and not gold. Um, I thought it was gold. Maybe so. Maybe it just, I I saw it wrong and I didn't go back to look again. Uh, Because, you know. When you're, we've got the number one podcast on iTunes, Duncan. Uh, you know, sometimes you leave soldiers <laughs> behind. Um, but anyway, but so she leaves another one of those yeah. seeds behind, like we saw happen with Dergy. So, oh man, we again heavy hitting yeah. everywhere you look. So we we leave Diane, who is now, you know, yeah, doppel Diane. So where's the real Diane? that mm, good question duncan um but doppel (laughs) (laughs) hard-hidden investigation (laughs) um yeah so doppel diane has collapsed and and returned to being just a seed or whatever and then we move over to the silver mustang where agent cooper has driven sunny jim and janie because the idea is they're in danger he can take them to the silver mustang to, to be protected and also meet up with the Mitchums who are going to use their jet to take him to yes. Twin Peaks or to Spokane and then to Twin Peaks. And uh, so, and this is the first time Janie's heard about a plane trip or anything. And so he pulls uh, Janie and Sonny Jim aside and he says, look, I've, I've got to go away for a while, but I've enjoyed spending time uh, with both of you. And he, he kind of fucks it up. He's like, Dougie, I mean, I yep. will be back. Um, which is what leads me to believe that he's working on a way to get a version of him into mm-hmm. their lives. But I don't think it's going to be him. So anyway, so Sonny Jim is like, you're my dad. And Dale's like, oh, well, not <laughs> you're not wrong in a way. Um, <laughs> but but you're, you're the product <laughs> of my seed seed. Right, I mean, you're kind of. Eh. Did you ever see Multiplicity? Yeah. Um, that explains dirty. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, dirt. Uh, I like tentative. So, <laughs> the but he's uh, like saying all the like you know, Dad's got to go on a business trip kind of thing. Where he's like, you know, when I next time I walk through that red door, I'm gonna be home for good, and and then he takes off, and. Janie chases after him because she's like, again, I don't know what happened to, to Dergy in that coma, but I like it. Mama like. <laughs> I like I like coma Dergy. 
And she asks him not to go, and he's like, I, look, I gotta. And then she plants one on him, Duncan. She gives him one of them, like, this is what you're going to be yeah, missing. Yeah, the, the, fire's, the fire's burning at home. Don't get along. Yeah. And then she says, whoever you are, thank you. And it's, a, again, a really nice moment. Um, and I hope we see him again. I don't know. But we leave uh, Sonny Jim and Janie E, uh, which is what Agent Cooper calls her is Janie E, which I really like. Um, and the Mitchums, they're they're taken off. In the limo uh, that they're all in, Dale uh, Cooper is, of course, drinking yep. coffee. Um, but he's he's filled him in on the backstory. And he, he's like, look, I need you to go with me uh, to Twin Peaks. I'm, I'm really Agent Cooper, blah, blah, blah. Has, has, all off screen. And, but he's like, look, I need you to come with me. And they're like, you know, you're telling us that the FBI is going to be there. And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. And uh, they're like, look, you know, the FBI typically doesn't, know, doesn't like guys <laughs> like us in our line of work. And uh, he says one of the most Agent Cooper-ass agent cooper lines where he's like gentlemen i'm here to admit that both of you have hearts are confirmed that both of you have hearts of gold and then candy is like they do <laughs> they really do and then they all just kind of enjoy their drinks <laughs> and, and it's fantastic it's like we get agent cooper back he's on his way like we're, we're setting the table for him to return to twin peaks and we just have this nice moment of like, you know what? Everybody's on board. The Minchums, you know what? Turns out they're good guys after all. They're they're going to be our White Lodge yep. pals. And, and every, Bookhouse and, Boys and, and all. we're all heading to the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. Yeah, everybody's going there. Gordon and, and et all, uh, all the Blue Rose uh, guys are headed there. We've already got, you know, our Twin Peaks regulars with, you know, Frank and, and Andy. <laughs> and right haven't didn't get any hawk but uh aside from the the sad scene with with margaret um but i have a feeling the the next couple of episodes you know what i can't fucking wait yeah to see agent cooper and hawk meet up again yep it's gonna be real good anyway Mm -hmm. uh Love the show, Duncan. I love it so much. We're not finished. But we're not one. done. We're, we're not, not done. done. We're not done. Um, because our speculation about Audrey and Charlie is about to pay off, but not before. And here's another reason I like this, this episode so much. Um, the MC introduces Edward Lewis Severson at the Roadhouse, and it turns out that is Eddie Vedder's original name. Yep. I'm a bit of a Pearl Jam fan, Duncan. I do like the Pearl Jam as well, but... And seeing Eddie Vedder pop up, I was like, oh, Eddie Vedder, that's awesome. And the song he played, which is called Out of Sand, mm-hmm. I actually found very sweet and poignant and a wonderful song. Yes. Uh, I was I, I, I was really blown away because it was just like, oh, my God, Eddie Vedder, and it's a new song? Uh, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's how I listen to Pearl Jam now. It's always a surprise when I'm pleased. Um. But yeah, it's a really good song. And so, and the theme of the song too is, is very much the idea. Uh, it's something that as you get older, you run into. 
where um, you start to think about all the things that you won't do in your life or that that the doors that are kind of closed to you like i am chagrined to say i will never be known as the spanish early temple for a number of reasons well yeah there's just that's gone now or but things like you know well i guess i'm never going to be an attorney huh you know that kind (laughs) of shit and i'm like i you know to go back to school and do all that shit like i don't have the interest for beginsies but also i just yeah i don't think i got that in me um so yeah it's kind of a nice song uh, and it, I related to it maybe too much. Um, but so then, guess what? does what happen, though? Does what happen? Does Eddie Vader actually play in there? Oh, well, Duncan. Uh, so Charlie and Audrey show up. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is where you got to start questioning things, because this, this is what went through my brain when this episode finished. Um <laughs> And the MC, uh, after, you know, e- Edward Lewis Severson uh, fucks off the stage, mm-hmm. is like, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Audrey's dance. Which I love the fact that, I love the fact that we've had, like, this season is not only giving us, like, lots of tie-ins to, to questions we've already asked, introducing us lots of bitching great new characters, um, it's really pushing the mythology, but the fact that, we got the James song that you really love that I think is mildly annoying. But the fact that we're, we're hitting all the sweet spots from the the first run. So, you know, like, yeah, let's do Audrey's dance. Let's get Audrey up here. Let's get the song on that we love. Uh, kind of Pink Panther rip off jazz. Right. Thing. Well, it's the song that she played in the jukebox like way back in season one. Yeah, and it followed. When she it just dances theme. in the double R. Yeah, it plays. It played pretty much every time she was on screen in that first season. That was her theme song, and yeah, uh, Audrey, uh, who is aged but is still looking very, very fine, gets up and does a little dance. Yeah, and it it's all going great, and the show ends. Um, no, oh wait, boy, you're a bad man. So as she's dancing, I'm just delaying the inevitable because we're almost done with this. And uh, this, <laughs> mm, oh, I feel so good about both of these episodes. Uh, anyway, so um, as she's dancing, before it can end in a pleasant kind of way, all of a sudden this fight breaks out where it's like some guy accusing another one of like fucking his wife or something like that. And... There, like this fight interrupts Audrey's dancing, and all the people at the roadhouse gathered around her to watch her dance. And so she runs off and grabs Charlie, and is like, "Charlie, you gotta get me out of here!" And then we hear a crackle of electricity, and then she's looking at herself in a mirror in this like sterile white room. Yes, and then she just screams, much like Charlene Yee at the roadhouse in the previous episode yes so ask the question bo ask the question well but then just to provide more evidence your honor after she screams we cut back to the band playing but they're playing black lodge backwards yes Mm -hmm. come on bo i mean are are we saying, like is she trapped in the black lodge very possibly 
Yeah. Maybe this is her own private hell that's been fashioned for her. This place where she's constantly trying to get to the roadhouse, but it's just this horrible loop. But she was in the roadhouse, though, Bo. Is the is the roadhouse actually the roadhouse that we've been seeing? Right, come on. Let's 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 start. Like, my, this is how my let's tug talking. at this thread because the people. All right, let's let's talk about who we've seen at the Roadhouse. Yeah, uh, James and Freddie. Yeah. Um, we saw uh, what, For, like, what's his so name? Think the drug it, James, dealer. Yeah. So so James, uh, who was a character that disappeared that we know had a bad bike accident. If you once again, if you read the Secret World Twin Peaks, it had a very bad bike accident. Um. Like Chad was there at the beginning, so no Chad was there. Uh, no, Chad wasn't there actually. Well, no, he was. Chad was at the yeah. Right yeah, the yeah. He, he yeah, he deal. was. Yeah. Yep. So, right. So he was there, but how many other? Well, Shelley was there as well, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, so Shelley's been. Yeah, James saw Shelley there. Yeah. I'm just thinking there's something dodgy here. But 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 it doesn't necessarily mean it's the same roadhouse. Like we may yeah. be seeing one roadhouse that's the for real one that we see Shelley and James and and the, them folk at. Yeah. And then there's the made up roadhouse, which is the one that gets all the bitch and Yeah, the nine inch nails and, played there, and you know, like right or so. It's either that, like this could just be a construction of Audrey's own making like it one way or the other she is she is trapped she is held she might even be you know uh, like did she go crazy is she still in her coma yeah i, I don't know? think yeah I, i'm thinking i'm thinking she is my, my thoughts is a she's either she's either black lodge a, or she is in an insane asylum yeah, I think uh I think uh, after whatever whatever Cooper did to her which birthed that fucking spawn of his uh, turned her mad. Cuz you think yeah. about what Diane when she was describing about being raped by by Cooper, you know, mentally distressed, uh, that I think maybe that's maybe that's what's happened to her. So I mean, very possibly. Um, I mean, it could. There could be a. Hey, the real Audrey is in the Black Lodge, uh, be, yeah. even though we don't have a doppel Audrey that we know of. Um, I don't know, but it like there is Black Lodge shit afoot. Yes, um, a plenty. One, Ahoy. And and there endeth the two episodes for this evening. Um, not entirely ending the festivities. First of all. Uh, I like I said, I feel like the description of episode sixteen there uh, stands on its own. I understand if you don't like that kind of centerpiece action scene, if that puts you off, I totally see why you would like the other episode more because uh, that yeah. scene just worked for me. Yeah. And I, yeah. I thought, I, I mean, it was... it's not. It's like I, I, I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. Um, I I love seeing Cooper back. It's a huge monumentous thing. It's the thing we've been waiting fucking sixteen episodes to see. Um, and they finally delivered it, and boy, did they deliver it in a way which felt great, satisfying, quirky, efficient. Um, and, you know, it, it made me happy. It made me smile. I liked the quirkiness of episode 16. You know, the fact that we're getting, you know, Cooper interacting with the Mitchums. Uh, you, you know, these sort of things work for me. Yes, I think the, the middle section with the, the hitmen uh, and women 
uh, getting gunned down by a random to me is just I don't know. I think it could have been handled a bit better. Um, I think the episode starts super strong as well. I just think for there are a couple of beats in 16 that are just phenomenal. I just think 15 has more beats that are just like if you're a fan, 15 is like to me, it's like minus the Cooper bit, it's just it's just ticking boxes right along. We've got Ed and Norma back together, we've got Nadine finally realizing how much of a fucking pain she is as a character, setting Ed free, Ed finally ending up with Norma the way it should have been all along. You know, we've got um, Margaret, you know, kind of passing on with it, uh, that message as well, which I think, you know, is very, very poignant. It's, it, it works, you know, you know, it works quite a bit for me. Um, we, we have... It was a very touching episode, which was also quite dark at the same time. We have, you know, the the realization of uh, Philip Jeffries, which I think is a wonderful scene as well, um, with ties into Fire Walk with Me, which I love. So I I feel like to me there's a fifteen progresses the story with like a lot of back information, some incredibly cool visuals. Um, the you know the I'm not I can't lie I'm a big fan of the giant cardboard volume tail thing it's kind of amazing you know fucking Hulk fist um I yeah I just I, I to me fifteen is I I just there was just, I I I can't think of anything that I didn't think necessarily worked on just a really high level in episode 15 and you're right that that bit and and 16 whilst I, do, I don't dislike it i love it. episode 16 is fucking amazing and it's where this show's been moving to and all the rest i i just i think it's it's like i'm it's like a weird misstep for me um and, and just making this random Polish guy just arrived with a fucking Uzi in his car and then there's a, a shoot up in the street and the FBI who have been super vigilant all the way through it don't do anything until the van drives past even though they're parked in the same street. It just, uh, yeah, it didn't sit quite, even the Mitchums have their guns out quicker than the FBI. I, I just, it didn't, I, that thing, it just is that it's a little chink in the armour which we need to buffer out and I think... But then we're still talking about two of, as we said at the start, and I, I totally agree, two of the best episodes of TV that I think I've ever seen. Uh, and I still think episode eight is the most unique episode of TV I've ever seen. But I think 15 is 16. I wish I'd watched them back to back now. I think that would have been a fucking, a whole hell of a that's, lot of That's fun. how I did it. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't stop. I, I had to. Yeah, I, I like knew that if I watched them both last night, there was a very good chance that I just could. There was a reason I waited so long to watch episode sixteen as well as so the ten. Your temptation just to run right to the next episode would be too strong. So, and I'm really bad yeah. for that. So I'm really, I'm really oh, yeah. bad I'm, for that. So as soon as we're done with this episode, I'm watching the last two. Yeah. So well, I'm not. Uh, I'm going to wait till I'm going to wait till closer to our last recording date. Saving myself, both saving myself. All right, I can't. I can't do. I know it. you can't I, do. I, it. I know you it. can't do it. So, I gotta see it. but yeah, I think um, I think you're right. I mean, when you're talking about, like, we get we finally we tie up a lot of loose ends in 
and 16 as well. We get rid of Richard Horn. We finally get Dale Cooper back. Dale Cooper's going to the place that we know we need to get him to in order to finish this TV show. We already know that just from proximity with Jerry Horn being there, that um, Double Coop is definitely in the Twin Peaks area. Uh, now he's used interactions with Richard Horn, uh, the revelations about Audrey, which we were kind of suspecting, uh, the reveal of Diane, um, and and the fact that they now know, like Gordon Cole now knows, that she has supplied the sheriff station coordinates to Doppelcoop. So yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, like everything is coming together in an, in a way which. I would have almost put money on it wouldn't. Uh, and I am thoroughly expecting to not have the conventional ending that this show is kind of almost predicting it's going to have with the way we're tying up stories. I, I still, I get the feel there's just something about this TV show and David Lynch. David Lynch will not give me a, a, a nice neat bow ending and I don't want that. I kind of hope we don't get that either. So... Yeah, I I'm in the same boat. I I want I want it to be kind of weird and strange and make me question what I saw. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'm you know, shut up. I'm only a couple hours away from that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> before we go though, Duncan. Yes. And, and and I acknowledge. I like. I don't think we have to choose a winner here. Uh, I think both of them are amazing. I I I think I get your point of view certainly but you know if, if the zawaski randomness uh doesn't turn you off then you're uh, talking about a flawless episode right that's <laughs> that's where i sit with it where i'm like it's all amazing i, don't, I mean you're i respect your opinion but <laughs> shut up don't, don't rain on my parade episode 16 rocks um so, uh, because the next episode will be the final episode, Duncan. Yes. Um, we, one more, and uh, and we're out with it. Probably a supplemental on on the book uh, at some point. Um, not not right away, but at some point, uh, we'll we'll come back around and and revisit that. Yeah, I think we reconvene um, early next year and just put a, a cap on it before we jump on and do some X Files. Right. I I think that's kind of the plan. Is the we're we're gonna do the book and then uh and then do X Files. So um but uh the next episode nonetheless is is going to be fun and wonderful and probably ridiculously long. So we're not gonna do any any emails and uh questions uh from the Facebook page um on that episode. Yes. So this is the our official last uh Duncan and Bo go to Twin Peaksies uh round of questions uh Ooh. from the listeners. So uh richard schmidt uh asks us if both Bo and duncan were pregnant by the same father would james or the arm in tree form be the father oh i see the uh, the the arm in tree form yeah i i totally agree with that like james uh, i mean sure easy on the eyes but you know you don't james, want to put a james wouldn't that. sleep with us because we don't look like laura right that would be the other problem you guys don't look like laura yeah. also your guys yeah <laughs> and clearly i like laura um <laughs> yeah that would be we and quite frankly we would probably disappoint him i'd oh, definitely disappoint him yeah just you 
but no. Um, all right. So, uh, Court Psyops asks us, does this third season wrap things up enough to finalize the story arc, or should there be another 18 hours of story next year? Uh, we'll we don't officially know. know. Yeah, we won't know until the next episode. But regardless, I even if it ended m- with Agent Cooper in mid-sentence pointing at a group of three people saying, one of you is a murderer, <laughs> and that was the very last bit of Twin Peaks we ever saw, I'm okay with not doing anymore. Yeah, see if it ends up in a see if it ends up in a double R diner and he sits down and, and Gordon Cole's there uh, and you know Audrey sits down and then Diane's outside trying to park the car while uh, don't stop believing plays. Uh, uh, people are awkwardly getting up, we're not sure if you know someone's gonna shoot Agent Kipper and right right on the point that says don't stop we, we fade to black. Um I would be happy with that as well. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think it's in the first hand of question to it also. Uh, should there be another 18 hours? Only if David Lynch and Mark Frost are into doing another 18 hours. He has hours. to direct the whole thing. David Lynch right. has to, like, I think that's what, to me, proves categorically that we already said ourselves when David Lynch took the, his eye off the ball in Twin Peaks during season two to go away and do Wild at Heart. Um, that's when stuff started to. That's when the ratings started to drop. It's when people started to lose interest. It's when things started getting unnecessarily quirky in places and not in a way like this season. I think the the vision of the show, like David Lynch directing every episode, you you feel Lynch like conveying this artistic message through you and I think you need that so if the two of them weren't signed 100% up to do all of it um, I, I would probably say it shouldn't happen. Uh, should they do 18 hours? It's up to them They could, to be honest with you as it stands just I'd, we're almost at the end of our 18 hour journey and I don't want the show to stop I, I, I want to live in Twin Peaks that's that's how rich the mythology is now. Is they've built a world um, in TV unlike any world that I've experienced before, and it's a world I want to live in. So, yeah, I, I same thing. I just as long as they're passionate about doing it, do another hour, do another six hours, a movie. whatever. Do a movie, yeah, or or a movie. Yeah, I mean, just whatever they want to do on their own terms. Because now that I've had the pure shit, yeah. Of of seeing this show on Showtime and not pulling punches, both like graphically and also uh, like you know just the language of it, the sexuality of it, the the grotesque of it at times. Um, I don't want it to ever go back to any kind of television that would stifle that. Yeah, and if Showtime imposed any rules on Lynch and Frost. Yeah. I would not want that either. So, yeah, I mean, it it really has to be that perfect storm, just like this one was of the right the right people, the right circumstance. But yeah, I'll watch as much of this as they want to do. It's it, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> it really best. is. It really is. It's just a different level. It's just a completely different level to to any yeah. I've seen. It's, it, it operates in its own little bubble, um, and it's incredible. Right there, there's twin peaks and there's everything else yeah and and it, it's tough to compare it um 
Uh, he also asks us, would you like a reboot of the entire series with new actors if Lynch and Frost were at the helm and running the show? I would be interested in Frost and Lynch to go somewhere else and create another town somewhere. Like What we know is the Black Lodge has conduits everywhere. Let's see the effects in another time. I would I would follow that. Um, I don't I don't want to see a a re a remake of what we've already seen um, because that's almost counterintuitive to what really happens in this show. It's so sporadic, so weird at times, and so off kilter, and it doesn't really. Sometimes things do get tied up, but for the most part, watching this TV show, they don't bother answering certain things. It's kind of left up to your imagination. Are left to the ether, um, not to be, you know, answered. So yeah, I, I don't think I don't have an appetite for that. I don't know about yourself, Paul. Uh, I I mean, if they did it, I would watch it. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I'm I'm a bit of the same mind, and, and I don't even necessarily need them to do another Twin Peaks ish thing. I but if they want to work together on anything else, I will watch it. I, I mean, I'll watch anything David Lynch does. Yeah. And and there is a unique relationship and a unique uh, output with Mark Frost involved. And I, you know, just yes, whatever they want to do. If they, if they're just like, hey, we're going to do a documentary style accounting of our bowel movements, <laughs> uh, then I'd be like, that sounds fascinating. I'm curious what you guys plan to do with that material. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, which these are all cord at this point. Which character added to the world of Twin Peaks in this season is your favorite? It's a good question. Favorite favorite new character. Hey, ooh. Does I mean does Dougie count as a new character? I see. Yeah, I, I kind of so? kind of feel like it does, but I also feel like Double Coop is technically a new character as well. And if that's the case, oh. Double Coop is my new favorite character with Diane being a close second. And then I would, because uh, she's I would, technically she's a new character. Well, she's an existing character, but it's the first time I've seen her. Uh, and then close behind that is is Derg. And then you're talking about uh, the Mitchums and our you know our hit hit people. Um, Candy. Is it is it is it Michael Sarah though? Oh fuck, Wally Brando. Well, like this, like, like when you talk about being spoiled, like I remember, I genuinely remember, it'll be two years ago now. That list was published of the two hundred and forty-eight A-list musicians and actors that were going to do cameos in Twin Peaks. I remember looking at it, going, "That's fucking ridiculous. It will never work." Um. And you know it's it's like some sort of glorified vanity project now, um, and as more information started to trundle out, I started to get a bit more optimistic. I don't think there's been any cameo by a major celebrity in this show that I had don't think has just like fucking totally worked. Um, it's like Lynch has got great performances out of everyone, even if it is just an awkward encounter in a in a fucking casino. Uh, right through to some like weird walk by cameos, he has managed to to capitalize and everything and make it work. So um, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I if we were going with brand new as in never seen before, never played by any actor from the original series, Wally Brando might take it because I think just that one scene is just so fucking wonderfully weird. Um, 
also Doppel Cooper is off the table because technically we saw him in the last episode of season two. We did. Yes, you're right. So 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 mine mine would go Diana's number one. Even though like I, I stick to the idea of we heard her name, yeah. but we never heard her voice and we never saw her face. Which is not how a character behaves. Um yes. so Diane is my number one. Janie is on the list. I was about to say, Janie E has to be in there as well. She's been pretty fucking phenomenal. And Ike the Spike. Oh, this is what I mean. This show has been... (laughs) Is there one character we don't like? Even the three cops. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. I mean, you can, like, if you wanted to make an argument for Tom Tom Sizemore, I'll listen to it. Yeah, and what about the... He's really interesting. What about the pathologist? Woman who... Oh, yeah. Uh, Jane Addams, Constance, is great. Amazing. Matthew Lillard? Yeah, uh, right. I'm sticking with Diane, but man it is it's it's a crowded field stacked front to back with just incredible characters right that but that's always the big fear right is is when you do a revival of a series and you're adding new characters then the expectation like much like listening to pearl jam it's like well the new stuff is probably not gonna be very good (laughs) and yeah, but he's, and then it's awesome. He's done it the reverse way because when you reboot something with new characters, you tend to get like two or three new characters, and David Lynch is giving you the fucking new world, yeah, of characters, and all of them have worked. Which once again shows that he just works on a completely different level to fucking anyone else. Um, yeah. All right. So, so uh, kind of a, a question B here is which character added this season do we hate and wish wasn't in the show chad uh i mean but you say that, i but say that it's kind of fun to hate chad yeah but that's what i was gonna say i i hate chad but we need him we need that character to hate him um i don't think there's not one character i, I can think of that i don't want in the show and i right, can't there, there's I, can't, I we could not see remember remember watching season two and we were like, why is fucking Norma's mother in this? I don't, and don't, Dead Tooth. De- oh, no, I love Dead Tooth. Dead Tooth was amazing. Yeah, I probably wouldn't get rid of Dead yeah. Tooth either. Hello, James. It is me, your lover, Dead Tooth. Please fix my husband's Mercedes. And Sloan, Malcolm Sh- Sloan, Sloan, Malcolm Sloan. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, the, but there was... you want me to fix your car? <laughs> Why are you naked? Oh, <laughs> uh, you don't look like water. Um, but yeah, there's there was plenty of characters in season two that just had small appearances. I was like, I, I could not give a tiny monkey fuck um, about this right now. Please take this off my screen. Um, and season three has had none of them. Every single, yeah. every single one. Like to answer that question, I would have to look up the name. Of one of the girls in one of the Roadhouse conversations at the end of the show, just to be like, all right, I guess if I had to get rid of somebody, yeah. here's this girl that was in the booth that had one line. Um, but no, I mean, I, even the characters that I dislike, I I meant to dislike them. I enjoy disliking them. I like I like a good villain, and and Twin Peaks is generally good about giving us one whether it's like you know Wyndham Earl or Bob or whatever you know the the show has a history of having a compelling villain this time it's Doppel Cooper and 
it, and but along the way we also have shitty Richard Horn and shitty Steven yeah. and you know uh but I I like not liking them um all right uh speaking of fuck Chad has anyone ever known a Chad that wasn't some kind of nuclear grade asshole he yeah. says and I, I only bring that up to say that my oldest and dearest friend is named Chad and I've known him since uh uh kindergarten uh which is pre-grade one it's not a name that's common in scotland i don't know any chads yeah but i have known other chads and i'm with you i get it (laughs) i i like i think i got the good one um (laughs) and then rob wilson axes us got a light got a light fucking episode eight man this is the water this is the well drink deep and descend um yeah man that uh that is it thanks for the questions um and we are going to be back in uh in a week with the finale the very end the uh the uh twin apocalypse is upon us <laughs> twin apocalypse uh which is is the end of all things an um, end of what has been ostensibly a 10 month journey of podcasting <laughs> yeah it's it's taken a while but man i mean i feel i, I like i feel a tremendous sense of of pride and accomplishment yeah. when i look at this it's show. one of my Not only because, favorite things i've done podcasting since yeah. i started in like the five almost five years i've been podcasting this is probably one of my favorite things i've ever done yeah, I mean, me too. It, it's been uh, uh, like really taking on a life of its own in a way that w- that was incredibly satisfying. And uh, I'm sorry to see it go, but also there is there's a nice feeling about being able to say like we can kind of close the books on this and and say like this this is all of Twin Peaks, yeah. and and that's fun. Uh, anything you want to? point the listeners to the many 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 listeners all of the, the listeners. number one show on yeah. itunes all the listeners uh any any anything you want to pimp before we get out of here hey not really i just want to once again thank everyone for the support um it feels good to be back doing these regular even though we're we're uh, very very close to the end now but uh yeah just thank you very much it's, it's always kind of uh warming to uh, see whenever Bo's posting that the show is about to go out or we're about to start recording the the kind of immediate knee-jerk response of people to come in and just get excited about what we're going to do is, is being cool and yeah this has been it's been so much fun and yeah a part of me is going to be sad when it comes to an end uh, and it, that'll happen in a week's time so I'll speak to you then excellent uh and folks as always check out legionpodcasts.com uh there you will find all things uh horror podcasts and some politics in there now and video games and all kinds of stuff it keeps getting bigger all the time and 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 better i would argue uh so check it check it out at legionpodcasts.com uh rate and review the show uh certainly helps us out And otherwise, we will see everyone in a week for the grand finale of Duncan and Bo Go to Twin Peaksies. So uh, until then, good night. Say good night, Duncan. Good night, Duncan. Can climb to heaven on the cross.
Running out of sin. Running out of sin. 